a lot of people talk about glove, right? Recently, right? Um, I, I will give this analogy, very simple, right? If not, I will give you. I have a proposal. I have this stock. Um, I have my company, right? I'm going to sell you for. Okay, I got one one million profit. For instance, I'm going to offer to sell for four million. I'm just going to have four times PE. Yeah. But there, there is a caveat. I'm just telling you, next year or two years down the road, the profit will drop. Mm. But I don't know how much it will drop. Okay. It may, maybe it's drop five hundred thousand. It may drop hundred thousand, or it may go on to negative. I don't know. Mm. But now I'm willing to sell you at four million for my business. Mm. Now, will you will you be willing to buy it? Most people won't. I think. Exactly right. Mm. See, now I can understand. That's the same situation face in the glove. Sentiment, in a way, for lack of a better word, follow no, through. No, but what I'm sentiment. hearing is that you're saying in year two, uh, you know, the glove companies will not oh, be as profitable or there's a chance. No, because you see, like it or not, right, demand will normalise. Normalise is not fall. Right? Yeah, yeah, go back to the old... old Pre-COVID. Uh. Correct. Um, growth will still be there, mm. but the growth won't be as strong as during this period. Right? Of course, yeah. So then, boys, now, if, for those who run business, you know, AS, the, the million dollar question, can the current average selling price hold for the next two, three years? Mm. Right. Right? It's only a matter of time before ASP will have to readjust itself yeah. or the average selling price. Reverse, oh. Reversion to the mean. Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.firl.co slash f-r-e-e or www.firl.co slash free. Okay, everyone. Um, welcome back to the Fire Podcast. Uh, best place for long-term stock investors. Now, today is a guest that we have anticipated for quite a while. We actually wanted to get him a lot earlier, but due to certain complications, we cannot. But finally, we uh, now have the guest that we've been looking for. Now, uh, let me do a brief introduction, right? So, this person that we're going to talk to today is a former fund manager. So the real one, right? Not the not the gurus like us. You know, the real one. <laughs> nah, just kidding. The real one. And uh, he's also... Got license. Got license. Yeah, got license one. <laughs> uh, so, so he is a former fund manager um, and he does not wish to become a fund manager anymore. At least that's what he told me before the podcast. Yeah. Uh, he's also an author, right? So if, yeah. you are, if you've been looking through... Like online, I think they, they run ads and not 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 the company, but uh book bookstore companies run ads on some of the books and it's a top seller on MPH, right? Yeah, it is uh, called What I Learned as an Analyst, mm-hmm. right? So this book, the author we have him here today. Yeah, he's also the founder of Trident Analytics, which is currently a, an independent uh, research company, and that is his project right now. We'll talk a little bit about it uh, uh, later in the podcast. But uh, welcome to the podcast, Mr. Peter Lim. Yeah, thanks, MJ. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, actually, I just want to extend a little bit, right? Because I uh, I said former fund manager. So I just want to sh- shout out your, your your pedigree a little bit. Uh, yeah. Just to, uh, yeah, have to. Uh, have okay, to. so he started his, his <laughs> career at a Capital Dynamics Group as an analyst. And I think this is the, the longest job you have. <laughs> this is the longest, right? Uh, I mean... Almost over oh, five and a half years from 2003 to 08. And to give you an idea what it means to be an analyst at uh, Capital Dynamics, 
Um, it is one of the most rigorous, I would say, uh, program out there. I would call it a program because it's a learning process uh, out there for anyone who wants to become an analyst. It's like uh, the Navy SEALs bootcamp. Yeah, Navy SEALs for Malaysian <laughs> stock investing. Yeah. So if you are an analyst coming out of Capital Dynamics, yeah. even if you are the worst one, yeah. even if you're only there for six months, uh, people yeah. know that uh, at, at least you've got some pretty good analytical skills, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> I don't know if this is true. I, I don't know if you can even review this, but I believe you are the longest uh, lasting analyst there uh, in history, maybe. At the point where I left, yes. At the point where I, I left, okay. So, okay. so you still hold the record, a Guinness record for being the yeah. longest. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it's a, but yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great and tough place to be, and uh, you know, certainly Peter was one, one of the diamonds there, right? Then after he moved on to head of research for Carson Smith, and then fund manager for UOBS Management, then Manulife fund manager as well, head of equity fund manager as well for RHB Asset Management. CEO of Inter-Pacific Asset Management. And then after that, he joined the company that all three of us was part of. And yeah. that's actually how we met. We met. Yeah. And so, yeah, that is the paragraph of the person we're talking about today. I hope I didn't do too bad with that. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I mean, as, 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 yeah. as, as usual, and, and you know, uh, he's also a, a big fan of charity. Yes. I forgot to tell you, he goes to work in a scooter Oh yeah, I think you give eighty percent of your no, your no, no, income. No, no, not that, not eighty percent, but double digits. <laughs> double, double digits. Okay, good enough. <laughs> better than a lot of people, right? Better, right, better yeah. than a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. So we we'll talk about your charity, all of that later on. But I want to start with a basic question, right? And that is, what got you into investing, and when was the time you realized, hey, I gotta be an investor? And specifically, what got you into stock investing? Oh, I, I think it's quite ironic. It's actually by accident, mm. right? Um, Share about the story. Enlighten us. Mm. Um, I, I graduated from UM Accountancy right, mm -hmm. back in 2003. Right? Mm -hmm. um, as, as with others, I go into audit firm. Oh. Right? Um, How long did it last? I, I okay. On, on, on my first day of work, in the first 10 minutes, I regretted my degree. <laughs> okay. So, so what happened during minute one and nine? <laughs> what was happening? Oh, well, man, uh, uh, I, I was being quite a, quite a problematic person to a certain extent. You okay. know, everybody aimed for top four. Yeah. I actually declined the, the top four audit. Wow. Yeah. So I actually choose the number five. Okay. Deliberately, right? Solid. So on my first day, you know, that was actually my first official job. Okay. I, I started working in, in factories when I was 13 to a certain ah, extent. Ah, okay. But, but child that labor, that's child labor, doesn't really yeah. count. Yeah. <laughs> since, since it's past now, right, I don't think it'll catch me for what happened historically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so when I step into the building, right, I mean, you expect you no know, people to you know that there's a HR come and say, okay, let's do an orientation, yeah, let right. me introduce you to your colleague, this is your workplace. Uh, not really. You no, know, I step in, in the first 10 minutes, uh, the HR came, they, um, okay, we are going to subcon you to Shell. Wow. Oh. And off I go immediately. You no, know, oh. I, 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 I only step into my office in the first 10 minutes. I see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, shit, I'm making a mistake. Yeah. Um, so there was 203, right? So mm. there's no high speed internet. Okay. And even internet was actually a, a luxury, to be very honest. Mm. Nice. All students there in, in 203, right? There, there, there. So we still find jobs using classified ads. You know, we buy newspapers and it's ah. quite thick at times. So you actually flip one by one. Okay. Uh, to show the desperation of how much I'll get of audit, I actually applied for anything. Oh. I applied for human resource, I applied for marketing. Wow. <laughs> Anything that, that can get me out of audit, right? So then, then came this very small article about this company called iCapital. Mm -hmm. mm. So I just apply, you know, I, I don't really know what is it, right? Mm. So, and that time you apply not through emails, you release print mail. out you know, snail, snail mail, snail mail <laughs> and, and, and the hard copy, right? Um, but quite, quite, it was quite fast. I think within three days, I got a call for interview. I said, okay, let's go for interview. So in the first interview, I said that. So I still remember the first two questions they asked me, they, um, yeah. have you heard about us? I said, no. <laughs> 
Nice. Yeah. Okay. Do you know what I do? I said no. <laughs> <laughs> I think. No, I think <laughs> yeah, I think today today is unforgivable. Uh, that time there's still no. That's, yeah, this still can accept. So, uh, somehow luckily I got I got the job. Mm. And that's how I started becoming an analyst. It, it was never intentional. There's no aspiration. Okay, I want to be a fund manager. I want to be an analyst. So it's just purely by accident. Okay. Right. So in those early years, right, how, what do you learn from that? Because of course it is the earlier you are in your career, the actually the more you learn, the, the more you are shaped, uh, which leads you to be who you are today. Mm. And so in those five and a half years, right, what are the, some of the key lessons that, you know, even up to today, you still share with us, uh, anyone listening mm. that you would say is really positive and you should uh, adopt the same kind of skills, mindset, whatever it is. I'll, I'll say patience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I joined Capital Dynamics, you know, in the first six months, I actually spent my first six months just reading. Mm. Just reading. And I was so frustrated, I actually resigned. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah I actually wow. resigned. So wow. my, my point is, I, said, I actually went, went to my boss that time and said, hey, uh, why are you hiring me, paying me monthly salary? I got nothing to do. Just But just reading. Yeah, just reading. Mm. So every day I would just go to the inner, inter- inter- they have an internal library there. So I just pick up business magazines, fortunes. I just read. Every day I just imagine go to the office, just read and I see all the colleagues, they are all busy working, right? You really got nothing to do. <laughs> you, you just spend the whole day reading. I was like, you know, you feel so worthless, right? So mm-hmm. after six months, I said, okay, enough is enough. Right? <laughs> so I just resigned. I, d- I did resign, right? So that time was one month notice. Um, so it was only until last week, I started thinking, I said, hmm, maybe I should prove myself that I can actually be an analyst. Mm. Right? So on the last week, I actually went back to him. I said, can I retract my resignation? <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what did you say? Right, and, and no, it's like back to work, work normal. Actually, the intention was just to prove that, yeah, I can be an analyst. Mm. I, I'm not as worthless as I, I, I thought I am, or mm. I'm supposed to be. It was only further down. I think after a few years, I can't remember exactly when. Then I know the conversation came about, right? Then yeah. only then he explained why or, or why that incident happened. He said, as an analyst, you're supposed to read widely, mm. and if you're already reading widely at that point in time, why should I stop you? I see. Then it was only that I said, oh. <laughs> so, so it's only a time that we have revealed why why I spent the first six months reading because that was supposed to be so. As as analyst, you have to be patient. Second is you really have to read very widely. Mm. So in in that six months, then right after you retracted, yeah. uh, then straight away you can start writing reports or another six months of reading. No, 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 no. I, actually, I, I did get involved very very little, mm-hmm. but after that, technically, I get more involved in in doing research. Mm. In that sense, right? Okay, so. So that was very early on, and as you progress, mm. because that's technically speaking, that's like your only analyst job. After that, it was all fund manager, head of research, really, right? Uh, yeah, yes, and no. Okay. Um, for for me, my style is even as a fund manager. My my style is I will only invest things that I know, mm-hmm. or that I understand. Right. So you you actually roll up your sleeve and do the work. Yourself. You you have to. I mean, even then, you have analysts working for you. Mm-hmm. I mean. Of course, they'll brief you about certain companies, right? But then, I w- if I'm really interested, I will still go down to really understand myself. Mm, right. So, to me, managing funds and, and research is something that we cannot separate. Mm. Right. It goes hand in hand. It goes hand in hand. But unfortunately, but in, in the market, it's really being separated. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. You have analysts that's doing the research. Mm. You have the fund managers that's going to rely on the analyst call mm. to actually decide whether to buy right. or to sell. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, now, so you've so since two thousand and uh, three, right? So now it's like what it, it's eighteen years of investing, really, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And how you s- what how will you describe your investing style slash philosophy, and how has it developed? Has it changed, or has it been, has it been pretty much the same all the, all this while? Uh, I give a, a, a 
See, I'm always trying to avoid the word, use the word value investing. Sure. Mm. Uh, because value investing is a very overused yeah. word. Very, very overused. Means too many things to many different people. Exactly. I, I think recently Charlie Munger put it in the yeah. most, I'm not sure you read, in the, in the very recent, he make a, a, a fantastic description of what value investing is. Mm-hmm. And this, according to Charlie Munger, he said, the reality is every investor are practicing value investing. Mm. The only difference is some sees value in a good company and some sees value in a lousy company. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very... Yeah, and, and, and ironically, it's because it's been so used until it's abuse, you know. It this is, this it is, yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. you look at all, all, all interviews with all fund managers, I mean, I mean look, those are my peers, right? I mean, when... Sometimes, sometimes you know obviously they are traders. Yes. Yeah. Not, it's not about right or wrong, but yeah. they're methodology traders. It, it, it different but different styles on him. Yeah. Right? But when they're interviewed by media, I'm a long-term investor. <laughs> investor. <laughs> <laughs> it's so convenient, right? Everybody is a value investor. Right? You, you have never written it. Professional fund manager who came mm. media and say I'm a trader. <laughs> no one. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds very <laughs> amateur. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a value investor. Right? Uh, so I'll say more on, if I really use a term, I'll call it more of business-centric. In the sense, I, I focus more on what is the nature of the business, mm. whether it's sustainable, mm-hmm. whether ultimately as an investor, I always say you're actually owning a business. Mm-hmm. You're not actually buying a share. Yep. So the million dollar question is, is this a business that you really want to own? Mm-hmm. Or you really want to invest with within the future. Mm. So if I were really to describe the approach, I would say it's really a business-centric approach. Right. Mm. So I mean, there's a bit of a discussion now and it's somewhat related to what you talked about, value investing. Right? Mm. So I want to get your thoughts on value and growth because these yeah. are very popular <laughs> terms. And you are from the far, uh, you know, fund management industry. Uh. You know, and maybe you've, you've uh, managed some of these uh, value funds or growth funds. Or there's one more, there's funds, one more. Dividend. Div- income funds. Yeah, income. You know, so. Things like that, right? So, do these <laughs> terms make any sense to you as, as in your own words, a business-centric <coughs> investor? Honestly, no. <laughs> okay. So, so of the three, which is the worst one? Yeah, which is the worst. <laughs> you see, how, how do you actually define... You, you see, I always make this... I, I, I make this argument with a friend before, right? I mean, mm. say, okay, I mean he was actually saying, okay, he was actually compli- um, okay, he was actually explaining to me his portfolio strategy. He said, okay. a certain part of my portfolio is for value. Uh, a certain part of my portfolio is for growth. A certain part is for dividend. Yes. So then I asked him this question. Okay, when you go for growth, what makes you make the decision to invest in this growth company? Mm. See, when it comes to it, ultimately, the, fun, the fundamental bottom line is it's undervalued. Mm-hmm. Right? When you go for value di- strategy, what is the underlying concept that allows you to return? It's undervalued. Mm-hmm. When you go for dividend, why do you invest in this dividend stock and not the other stock? Mm. It's undervalued. Yeah. So despite all the fancy names you go around, I'm a value investor, I'm a growth investor, I'm a dividend investor, the fundamental methodology that you use is the justification of what you invest is undervalued. All right. <laughs> so, okay, good. So no, no, we are aligned to that. We, we, we will talk a little bit more about how how do you tell something is undervalued later on. Yeah. Um, but... I just want to move slightly different to a slightly different path now and ask you, right? So as a as a professional, essentially, mm-hmm. having be uh, represented in institutions before, one question people ask, especially in the Malaysian market, is that do, does the retail investor actually have a chance? You know, it, when re- institutions have all the leverage that they have, they can meet management, they have Bloomberg terminals and yeah. all of that. Access to information. Access to information. So do you think that retailers should even bother trying given that there's, uh, quote-unquote, so much advantages for institutions? There are. I think the most common uh, misperception mm. as, a, as an investor, I would say even say for retail or professional, you, you need to buy a lot of stocks mm. to be successful in the portfolio. Mm. I, I think that that's the biggest issue now. I think in reality, right, if you really look at 
let's take Benjamin Graham for instance, mm-hmm. right? Despite his track record, you know, there's only one stock that actually outperforms one single stock mm-hmm. that the return surpassed his entire portfolio in all his career. Mm. Only one. I believe it's Guy Cole, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So that, that, that's the reality, right? So likewise, I've met a lot of successful retail investors. I mean, these are maybe from a few million portfolio to hundreds of million portfolios. Mm, correct. Right? But of course, in long term, five to 10, 10 years, 20 years, right? Mm. And when I was discussing with their portfolio, the reality is the whole bulk of the wealth is coming from less than five companies. So those companies, those one or two companies were the ones that gave them the multiple baggers, exactly. that concentration. And, yeah. and these are the companies, the common characteristic of these companies are they are in the company, these are the companies which they understand very well. Mm. The biggest challenge for investors, be it professionals or even retailers is, imagine it's a very common thing, right? You have bankers who know the finance industries, but mm. somehow they like to invest in biomedical, which they know. <laughs> You have the doctors which know very well about the about the medical. They like to invest in banking and finance, cryptocurrencies and what, mm-hmm. which they know nothing about. Yeah. Right. So, why why don't you invest in something you know about? Mm-hmm. Concentrate and that's it. Mm. So, but my 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 retort to that would be okay. So yes, out of uh, however many stocks they buy, five did the best, right? But that predicates on them actually investing maybe. Mm. 20 to 30 stocks. I don't know, is it true for the retail investors that you see or they actually <coughs> pick those five to six stocks only and they all do well? Yep. Or they buy a, a, a basket Bunch. and then those five did really well and overtook a bit like Ben yeah. Graham's story, or maybe, which is the scenario. Maybe I think uh, we angle the question this way. La. Out of, let's just say, an average of uh, 10 stocks, mm. how many do they get right most of the time that have that multiple bagger, uh, a it ratio of... yeah, Quite, quite a mix. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they are... Some of them are actually very concentrated. They yeah. only have less than five and okay. did very well for them. Some okay. of them is a portfolio of 10 to 20 and maybe five of them did very well. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a mix. Okay. A mixed bag of, of results in, in that sense, right? But see, I'm not against diversification. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, but yeah. my, my point of diversification is if you absolutely don't know what you're doing, okay. please mm-hmm. diversify. Mm. But if you're absolutely sure of what you're doing, mm. please concentrate. Because the question MJ and I, we get asked a lot is they don't know where to start especially their circle of competence. So let, let's say some of them are housewives. Mm. So they're not in a professional environment where there's an industry that they can keep track of. Then for them, how do they know what industries to focus on and how many should they actually pick up in a way? Let's, let's just say, for example, let's say a housewife. No, don't don't under, underestimate housewives. Oh, they're, they're, for they're, sure, they're, for sure. They're, 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 they're level of information, right? They, they will know exactly what's the price of toilet roll. Has <laughs> it, it increased or not? Right? And toilet, there's a listed company in Malaysia that does toilet. All your washing dishes, yes. this part of a global. What's the price of Milo that's been going up? Mm. Right? Are, yeah. are, you, are, are you consuming more Milo in your households? Maybe last year you only bought one pack, then last for a month. See, see these are all information. Mm. Right? Very so, good. So rather than they, they go and try to to, to to go for the next big thing, right? Or yeah. let's go to a biotech or some some cryptocurrency, which they say, uh, what? Focus on this, right? You, you have readily available information. Yes. What's yes. happening there? Great. Because I'm the housewife. I buy the groceries now. Uh, me too. So <laughs> after, after MCO, all guys became the housewives. <laughs> you're no. still not married, so you yeah, wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't no, but it's, it's a good because it's, it's a good thing because I, I think a lot of uh, the people that MJ and I come, come, mm. come in touch with in our community, they always have this lack of confidence mm. because I think the finance industry in a way has been, you know, trying to sell them this story, mm. sad to say, that, you know, you may not be as proficient as managing money as compared to us. And that, that's the... With no offence to accountants, I, I, I'm a chartered accountant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see, 
I always joke about this, right? Why why it makes accounting so complicated is to justify our fees. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> here first, guys. <laughs> From a licensed fund manager and yeah. a chartered accountant. Not we say one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so likewise, right? You know, yeah. investment fund managers they'll make things very complicated. So complicated that hey, guys forget about it, right? You know, yeah. Let's yeah. pass your money to us. We handle it for you. Yeah. Right? Right. Great. Yeah. Great. I, I think it's I, I really I'm really heartened by you saying that because one of the aims of our podcast is to encourage more people to understand to, to take ownership of their own money yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so those people that, uh, those retail investors you say with tens of millions hundred millions right does patience play a role in how they invest oh. okay Bef- before I go into patience right ultimately the one thing that a lot of investors the step that they always skip mm. before they start investing is a very basic question what's your objective mm. that, that actually determines everything mm. say for instance maybe your objective is this year I want to make 10% return okay Maybe for John, is it? Oh, I'm more aggressive. I mm. want twenty percent mm-hmm. return. Mm. It's nothing not about wrong or right, right? Mm. It's mm. your ten and your twenty. So once you got your objective, um, right? Okay. Then you will invest based on meeting your objective. Okay. Mm. Say for instance, if this year suddenly MJ you receive twelve percent return, you have surpassed your ten percent, right? But right, you should be very happy. You know, I've met my, you know, the biggest problem with investors is they start to look around. <laughs> mm. They start to look at John. John did 20% return uh. because he invested in another company. Mm. And the, that's where all the problems start. Right. Rather than being satisfied that, hey, I've met my objective, you get very upset. Mm. Why did I invest in this company and why not I don't follow John invest in this company? Mm. Therefore, he get 20%, only get 12%. Mm. Right. right. So set the objective. What, what is your objective? So invest based on your objective. You can say yeah, you actually clear up a lot of unhappiness and a lot of unnecessary things. Great. J- just to dig, uh, it's a great point, but a lot of times people don't know what's the benchmark. So what, yeah. W- yeah. What, so what's your yeah. objective? Yeah. What do you think is a reasonable objective correct, for correct. people? And then also, so three questions. Your objective, what do you think is a reasonable object- mm. objective for most people? Mm. And the third question is, what does what is the difference in terms of activity, skill set, all that? Uh, between let's say ten percent a year and twenty percent a year. Yeah, Let, let's be very realistic, right? Mm. Whenever people ask what what is the reasonable, that's not Malaysia market, right? Mm-hmm. Reasonable long term annual return. Mm. You say long term means ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. What yeah. is the reasonable annual return yeah. in Malaysia? I usually like if you are able to get eight to ten percent per annum, mm. it's actually very very good because mm. if you look at KLCI, mm. yeah, the long term KLCI is only around six to seven percent. Mm. It's so been flat for the past six to seven years already. Yeah, I think. but if you come for less thirty. 30 years, I can say since yeah. 1987, right? I think it's around 6-7%. Mm-hmm. So now I understand why a lot of fund houses, right? When they put their benchmark, they put 6-7%. <laughs> because that is actually where the KLCI is. Right. So if you put more effort, I say we're all getting 8-10%, to 10%, I think that's a very reasonable goal. Mm. Uh, you make a very good point, right? Um, how much return? Then again, it must be reasonable. Mm, right. Look, I- I- even, even Warren Buffett, right? For the last... 30, 40 years, he's around what, 20% per annum? Yeah, yeah, but prior to that, when his fund was small, it was yeah. about 40%. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the best investor is getting 20% per annum in the, yeah. in the long period of time. Correct. Then you have, you should make if some investors saying, I want 50% return per annum. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Cam, Cam, Jim Simons, uh, Quant, uh, be a Quant. Uh. No, it, whenever, whenever, I do make a lot of people who come and tell me, hey, I know my, my annual return is around 80%, I do make 80%, 100% return. Then there's only two possibilities, right? Yeah. First thing is, his investment horizon is very short. Means either he's in the first year, second year, or maximum third, three years. Yeah. Second is he's lying to you. Right. <laughs> also, also in your, in your, right? view, in your yeah. view, three is short, three years is short, you three will consider? Short because a cycle, I see. To, to, to really go through the whole cycle, right? You need at least five to seven years. Mm. Then you can really feel the whole up cycle and the down cycle. I like think that's a very great point. Yeah, like yeah. 2020, right? I when the tech comes, all shit floats. Yeah. <laughs> 
last year everybody can be a market genius. <laughs> yeah, 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 true. Yeah, yeah. Either a glove genius or a tech genius. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, so what is your? I mean, just going back. So you you answered the first question, which is what's what's a reasonable rate of return. What is your rate of return? Uh, so rather, what's your expected or objective when it comes to rate of return? And what is the difference between a ten percent fund manager and a investor and a twenty percent investor? What does it take to go from one to the other? Okay, my, my personal return, I would say my personal aim, right? If yeah. I can achieve twelve percent per mm. annum, I'm quite happy. Okay, mm. right. Um, what it takes to bring from a ten to twenty? Mm. Yes. Skill sets, experience, and what, whatever. What, what, in your opinion? First thing is you must really be. It, it has to be a concentrated portfolio. It, okay. it has to be a concentrated. And second thing is you must really know it very, very well. Mm. That is really, really possible. So concentration is very interesting uh, question, right? And um, there's so many questions to go on. But I, uh, thanks for bringing this up. Which is what is concentration? Because I speak to some people before they said, ten is not concentrated. Right, five is. But then I think if you talk to the typical farm manager, you say 10, you know, they might get sacked if they just invest <laughs> in 10, 10 companies. So what, what is concentration actually? Okay, look at unit trust, right? Mm. Yeah. Unit trust that is guided by the SC requirement. Okay. SC guideline says on the every single fund, on a per fund basis, right? Mm-hmm. You cannot invest more than 10% in a single stock. Ah. And if it's a group of companies, you can invest more than 15% in a single fund in a group of companies. So that means if there's a few that is like holding each other, like like yeah. holding, holding, oh. yeah, then it yeah. cannot exceed 15%. 15%. Okay. But in reality, you look at fund managers for unit trust, usually mm. for them, you notice they rarely hit more than 3%. Mm-hmm. In That's the true. definition of fund management, right, or, mm. or the unit trust, right, per, per se, right, 3% is considered high. Why? Wow. Why, why 3%? Is there a magic number? Is no. there uh, it's just how how it, how the cookie crumbles, uh, is yeah. that right? It's just how the the thing evaluates. Yeah, it's just like when you look at your seniors, how seniors doing it. They say oh, my maximum is three percent. Then it's somewhat set, set, <laughs> yeah, set, okay. set that trend. Okay. So now I can roughly understand why, on average, all portfolios in unit trust have thirty to fifty stocks. That's right. Yeah, it's quite yeah. a lot. Actually, yeah. because of this magic number, right? I see. Uh, there's really no justification behind this this three percent. I see. It's per se, it's more like it's quite an industry practice. I see. Right. It, I, see. I quite I quite I'm I'm a more uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. a, a ton in the industry. I call it is a practice to safeguard your job. Ah, understand. CYA yeah. practice. Huh? Ah, yes, yes, yes. Because yeah. if you go 3%, if you screw up well, it's only 3%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> true, true, right. true, true, true. So, true. will you be fair to say, based, based on what you're saying, uh, I think any, if you have a portfolio that's less than 20, that can be considered concentrated because less than 20 would mean about 5% at least. That, then again, it's so depend on. Are you managing your own money or are you managing for other ah, right? Good point. If it's your own money, if you really think about it, right? Um, that's it. If if you if it's your own money, so if you really know this company very very well, mm. right? You're very very certain. I would say you won't be hundred percent. So you're eighty percent certain about the prospect, the industry in the right. Wouldn't you invest all your money into one stock? Yeah, yeah, logically. Logically, right? Yep. So, yeah, I mean, w- would there be a need of? Okay, I must, the disclaimer is this, mm, uh, mm, that mm. you know it very well. Uh. Yeah. Not, not because of hearsay, rumor, or... Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Second-hand or... Second-hand. Uh, yeah, not because your broker said, oh, this is going to be the best stock. <laughs> this is going to be... Uh, yeah, just follow. Not, not, not that, right? Yeah. But if you have utmost certainty that you've done your own research, you've done homework industry, you're very familiar with, yeah. you're very familiar with, why diversify? Mm. Right? Yeah. So again, it really depends. There's really no magic number of how high is high and how True. low is low. Uh, but when, when I was managing funds... Um, even unit trust, I tend to be a bad boy in the industry. I usually go up to seven to eight percent in a single stock. Oh, what a bad rep. boy! So for, for stocks which I'm really, really confident, but on on, on basis, I'm yeah. really, really confident, I can go up to seven to eight percent. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, does it does it is the fund size actually also a determining criteria on how concentrated it is, or, or it doesn't as the basic amount of money you yeah, manage? Yeah. Right? yeah, it is. It is. It is. Um, you see, uh, for if if a fund is smaller, mm. right, look at fund industry again. Again, fund industry, right? Um, how how small is small and how big is big? Yeah. Generally, if if a fund is below ten million mm. on the whole, it's quite quite a small size, mm. and it's very flexible because. Mm. Like three, even even three percent is, is quite a small number on that per se. Okay. Big fund is usually above ten million, or once it hit around fifty million, mm. right? Uh, that's why it's quite quite sizable in that in that sense. I see. Right. What what's the sweet spot for you? I mean, if you were given, if you, if, I know you said you don't want to be a fund manager anymore, but if you're given a fund mm. that you have a free hand to run, what would be a sweet spot for you in terms on, of size? On the per fund basis, right? I would uh. say a sweet spot is around hundred million. Hundred million. Hundred million. Mm. Mm. For the Malaysian market, For la. the Malaysian market, and um, because okay, this is interesting statistic, right? Even yeah. the Malaysian market, I think got nine hundred, close to nine hundred. Oh, 1, close 000, to a thousand, uh, yeah. Thousand stocks, right? Yeah, plus leap, lah. Okay, or yeah, even plus leap. Yeah, yeah. So if you take the total market cap, right, of of the you combine the whole market cap of these one thousand companies, you divide by one thousand companies. Mm. You know what's the average market cap? I think it's one trillion for the whole market cap right now. Am I right to plus say? Minus, yeah, one trillion mm. divided by one thousand, so it's about. Oh, my math not so good, lah. But. Yeah. Uh, 10, 10 million? 10 million? 100 million? No, no, that, not that small. Uh, 100 million? Yeah, yeah. The last I count was <coughs> on average, our average market cap in ringgit mm. is around 200 million to 300 million per counter. Mm. Okay. Which is actually very small. Yep. Mm. It's very, very small. So what it actually says is that Malaysian stock market is actually, we are dominated by small caps. I see, I see. Because it, okay, under definition for SC, right? A small cap company is your market cap is below 750 million. Okay. That, mm. that is small cap. Mm. So can you imagine when you divide the average, we are 300 million. And it's lower. <laughs> it's yeah, lower. Yeah, yeah, logically. Yeah. So we, we, we are a market where it's quite dominated by small caps. I mean, whether yeah. you like it or not. Right? Um, that means if your fund size say, cross 500 million, see, we, we can, okay, usually you perform better by investing in small caps in Malaysia. That's the nature. That's a small cap industry. But once your fund reaches 500 million or half a billion, mm. you're, you're not that flexible because there, there are a lot of small caps which you may like it, mm. but you're not able to buy it. Because of your mandate and everything. Because your fund is so it's big, it's, it's big. Even if I buy 1%, 1% of half a billion fund is 5 million ringgit. Yeah, yeah. Imagine buy 500 million ringgit worth in, a, say, a 200 million market cap. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's 200 million, the whole market cap, but the free float is only, let's say, 20%. It's even, even smaller, actually. Yes. Yeah, right. yeah. That's it for Malaysia. I think I think a hundred million is quite a sweet spot. Okay, per, on a per fund basis. Okay, yeah. if it's a global mandate, what what uh, do you, what do you think is what would be a perfect size for you? Global, I would say also. I think uh, if we can have a hundred or a hundred million, which is around twenty five million US dollars, I think that that would be quite comfortable. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Okay. Sorry to interrupt this podcast. I know it's a little bit annoying, but I want to tell you something that I think can be really helpful to you. I can tell you're really interested in the stock market and want to learn more about it so that you actually know what you're doing, especially when today things are getting more complex and complicated. That's why we came up with the Stock Investing Blueprint or SIB. It's our signature e-learning program that teaches you how to pick the right stocks most of the time, buy and sell it at the best possible time and manage your stock portfolio systematically. It currently has more than 10 hours of content and it's growing. You'll also be part of a group of like-minded investors that can help speed up your learning process. To hop on the program, click on the link in the description or go to learn.viral.co slash courses slash SIB. 
So, I mean, just now, you going back to diversification, right? You said that if you're confident, then uh, don't diversify. So, you've explained really well about the diversification part, but now I want to discuss more about, okay, what does confidence actually mean, right? Mm. Is it looking at the accounting numbers and saying, ah, this is a good company? Mm. Or is it looking at some more invisible things like, you know, pricing power and, and modes and all these things? So where do you sit in in that discussion? Actually, analysis is, is actually much more than numbers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Actually, looking at historical number or, or looking at historical data, to a certain extent, it only forms maximum maybe one quarter of your investment decision. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. The other, plus minus, I mean, one quarter. The other one quarter actually comes from how well you understand the business, mm. the industry dynamics. Mm. Like what you mentioned, like the porters, five forces of competition. Right. right? Mm. Uh, actually, what is very interesting in, in capital dynamics or iCapital, we actually focus more on the five forces. Oh, rather really? Rather ah. than the financial numbers. <coughs> right, okay. Because we want to know how sustainable is this business. Okay. And the five forces analysis actually allows you to understand whether this, how strong is this company in its positioning. Mm. The other one quarter is the quality of management. Mm. Ultimately, are these guys we can trust? Right, or are they people you just wouldn't trust them? Because, see, ultimately, as an investor, you're not running the company. Yeah. yeah, yeah. These are the guys who are running the company 24 hours a day. Yes. Right. So if they are the guys you can't trust, so why invest in them? In a way, you're going to bed with them in a way. Yeah, you're saying right. Yeah. And the last one quarter is really the valuation. You can have a company that fulfills all the first three criteria. The historical financial data is fantastic. The quality of management is very, very good. The mm. business is love it. But sometimes the price is just way too high. So right. it's 100 times PE. Mm. Okay. Right. So financial is only like plus minus only a quarter of your decision. An important price. quarter, but still a quarter. It's still a quarter. That is, so if you really look at it to a certain extent, right? Do you notice 75% or three quarters are actually qualitative aspect. Mm. Yeah. Only one quarter is quantitative aspect. Great. Yeah. Uh, just to write on that point about qualitative, uh, besides Porter's five forces, right? What other things would you advise an investor to strengthen their qualitative analysis besides reading the annual reports? Besides, uh, and, and also what about Porter's five forces that you find to be very useful in, uh, in your own words uh, yeah. to discover the sustainability for a company? Mm. See, always, let's say, back, back to the diversi- diversification part, right? Yeah. See, always starts with what industry you know best. Mm. See, a- every person, every working person, they must be working in a certain industry. Yeah. And they're exposed to that industry day in, day out. Mm. So always start with the industry that gives you an edge. Mm. Right? See, it, it doesn't mean that you can only invest, make money in tech stocks, or you can only make money in glove stocks. Mm. Right? You can, you've seen, I've seen people making money in pharmaceutical stocks. I've seen people make money in various, in all industries, there are opportunities to make a decent return out of it. So always starts from there. I see. So uh, your second question. So, so I mean, second one was about what because you mentioned when you at capital dynamics, you guys focus a lot on Michael mm. Porter's five mm. forces, right? So my question would be, what about those five forces that you that you use even up to this day to discover sustainability in a company and your overall qualitative analysis? Which is very simple. Like say, for instance, when you ever go for any company visits, right? Mm. You know, people always focus what's your revenue, what's your revenue, what's your revenue. Right, yeah. right. But people forgot a very basic question. Who determines the pricing of the product? Uh, it's a very basic question, yeah. mm. but it's a very it's a very important question. Mm. So ultimately, who has that pricing power? Mm. The best you can find is if a company said, "I set the price of my product." Mm. That is what you're looking for. Mm. Ah. But unfortunately, there's a lot of businesses where they don't have that pricing power. The pricing power is either regulated by the government, or it's it's too competitive. It's, yeah. determ- it's determined by the comp- the level of competition in the market. So the supply and demand forces of the right. market. So, yeah. so will you say that? 
people should avoid investing in companies where the management don't or the company don't determine the price of their product or there's still room to no, do it? You see, when you run a business, right, you just on a very broadly basis, right, there are two elements that you must be able to control either one. Mm. Either you must be able to control your selling price mm. or you must be able to control your the cost. cost. Ah. So if you are in a business where you can't control your selling price, you must be able to control your cost. Mm. Right? If you're in a business where you can't control your cost, you must be able to control your selling price. Mm. Of course, the, the blue sky scenario is if you find a business that controls both. Wow, both of course. Price and, the cost. Yeah. and the worst case scenario is if you find a company that can't control your selling price, you can't control your cost. Right. right. So this, these are very basic qualitative aspects. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Right. And these are actually, look at portals, right? What is the level of competition? Mm. Who has the pricing power? The bargaining power of supplier? Mm. The bargaining power of customers? So it's, it's very qualitative. But yeah, it, yeah. It's a very simple question. But it's very profound. But it's very important. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But on, on that same note, right, um, besides having that information uh, when you visit or you have access to management, how else can a retail investor, uh, based on public information, how else would the retail investor be able to get that kind of um, data or ins insights? See, well, I, I always like to invest in consumer and manufacturing related. Mm -hmm. and that's always been where my focus is. Right? I rarely invest in things I can't see. I see. Right. Those uh, anything to do with digital, I'm quite bad, right? Because you cannot feel it. Yeah. And why I focus on manufacturing and consumer is things you can see, mm. you can observe because there is there's a raw material, there's a production, there's an output. Mm -hmm. Right. So there is something you can monitor, which you can actually look at it, right? Um. What what? There was once. See, this is all purely observation, right? Let's mm. take we all drive on on the road most of the time. Yeah. Do anyone actually take the trouble to look at how many cars? Or you're stuck in traffic jam rather than complain about traffic jam. Just take a note and look left and right. What car that you see the most? Mm. I still remember this way back, I think in 2011, 2012. I still remember then Tan Chung Nissan launched the Almera. Oh, yes, yes. Way, way back then, way back yeah. then, right? Yes. So you know, I, I still take my scooter there, right? So I noticed, I seems to bump into a lot of Almera on the road. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so quite interesting. So that actually, actually prompted me to actually look at it. Maybe I should look at Tan, Tan, Chung. Tan Chung and look at the numbers, right? Yeah. Um, that time it really caught me by surprise. Uh, those are those back then numbers, yeah, yeah. right? See, in 2000, 11, 2012, the best-selling car is Vios. Mm. And Vios, that time, they're talking about average three to 4,000 units a month. A month, yep. City was the second best-selling, around two to 3,000 a month. Mm. Right? These are way back 2011, 2012 numbers. Right? Yeah. Almera, after I did my check, they actually crossed 2,000 over a month. Oh. So, it's top three. Significant. So, it uh, starts from no, in a way, nowhere, nowhere right? right? Yeah. Because, because, um, what, see, can you remember what was car? Uh, it's a, uh, no, no. Uh, in the C segment, uh, for that segment, Nissan had nothing to compete. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> it was like, wow. So I actually, I actually invested in Tanjong. And, and true enough, no, the numbers was really driven. In the subsequent quarters, right, the Almira really drove the numbers. Mm. And you see, these, these are not some rocket science. This is just purely observation. Rather than, rather than cursing on the road. On, on the LDP. Jam, just just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what cars you see on the road? LDP analysis. <laughs> uh. It's a new, new type of analysis. Hey, surprising, I did the same for UMW. Uh, that was way back in 2012, 2013 when they launched uh, a new Camry. Uh, I, I, I used the same method. I just noticed, hey, there's quite a lot of Camry on the road. <laughs> 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 Actually, you know the, the car you used to drive, uh, Peter, the CX-5? Uh -huh. Because I, I own a CX-5 uh -huh. as well, right? I, I was shocked because I went to the service center and I, I asked them, uh, last time, uh, how many, the, the salesperson was telling me, uh, prior to this uh, CKD version, uh -huh. they used to sell 30 units and then uh, they used to sell 100 per month uh, per week, sorry, per yeah. week. It, it's crazy, and, but I didn't take advantage of it. Uh, too bad. Uh. So now yeah. you... <laughs> right. you, see, you see, there's no rocket science in this. Yeah. This is just purely observation. Look, I'm not even an auto car guy. I don't, yeah. work in, I don't work in UMW. I don't work in Tanchung. But yeah. 
which is just some very common thing which if you just take the trouble rather than just see things, yeah. but you observe and put some thoughts into it. Yeah. You actually right. give some idea of what is the next trend that you'll be looking at. So, Proton? Proton is under DRB, but see, unfortunately, yeah. the whole Proton is a very small proportion of DRB. Mm. So, even if Proton ah. were to turn around, yeah. it, it, it would have much impact on DRB. Unless you could buy a Proton stock, which we don't have. Yeah, we should. Have. Yeah. Too bad. Okay, so so you broke down very interesting in terms of your process of thinking about investing into four broad segments. So, I think you shared uh, with us a lot about the second segment, which is the the mode Porter's five forces analysis. So let's go back one step, which is the accounting numbers. Now, mm. um, of course, three quarters are qualitative, but this quantitative still takes up mm. uh, 25%, right? So what do you see? What are some of the key metrics that you see from a quantitative basis? You're like, okay, good. You know, this is a good company or something worth considering. The, the first thing I always look at is actually the cash flow. Mm. Um, the operation cash flow. So mm. what, what I look for is a company with See, consistent positive operating cash flow. Mm. To say at least 80% of the time, the cash operating cash flow must be positive. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean it must be on a growing trend. Mm. I think I think I have yet to see a company where consistently the operating cash flow is on a wow. <laughs> uh, why is that? Why is that? Why is that case? It's not easy because see, operating cash flow is whenever there's a business expansion, whenever mm. revenue is growing, right? See, you need working capital to generate that yes. revenue. Right. And working capital eats into your operating cash flow. Yes. Right. So it's and quite, quite impossible where your revenue keep growing mm. and your operating cash flow keep growing. Right? It, it doesn't tally to a certain extent. Because right? your payables have to go up yeah. as well, right? Yeah. Maybe for software companies, yeah, maybe that that is that's only anomaly to them. Mm. But if you I say I'm more focused on consumer and manufacturing, right? right, yeah. right. To, to hit that revenue, you need more machineries, you need more workers. You virtually need capex, uh, and capex. And if how 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 do you get a linear growth in OCF when you don't have Yeah. yeah. And I always argue this point, right? A lot of people got a misconception. Why do you do a business? They say to generate profit. Mm. If you really think about it, right, the history of accounting, profit is a product of accounting treatment mm. or accounting theory, accounting concept. I think accounting concept is barely 200 years old. Mm. Whereas human civilization, we have conducted business yeah, thousands yeah. of years. So I was asked this question. If the purpose of business is to generate profit, so what the guys were doing way back then? Yeah. <laughs> you, you see where I'm coming from? Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because the purpose of doing business is not to generate profit. The purpose of business is to generate cash. Mm. Right. It's not to generate profit. Great. And, and you know, in, in your experience, you probably analyzed thousands of companies and I'm sure you've come across a few frauds as well, right? Uh-huh. We won't name them, obviously. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but d- would you say that the profit numbers and even the revenue numbers are the most manipulated when it comes to fraudulent activities and, and, and th- therefore we should be looking at the cash flow statement instead? If I'll be very honest with you, see, the reality is this. Mm. Sometimes whenever there's a fraud being uncovered, we always... The first reaction from this is why isn't the auditors aware of it? Know what the auditors are doing, right? Mm, but, mm. but the reality is this: if there's an intention to commit fraud, mm. they were already started to manipulate even at the source document mm. itself. So the auditors would not be able. Auditors to are checking on the source document. So that's why I say when it's very hard to track when there is an intention to commit fraud. Mm. Right. The only way we can actually detect fraud is common sense. Where, where, whether it makes sense or not. Right. Mm. Mm. The only way it is, and then then. Unfortunately, that responsibility falls upon the investor themselves. Mm. Right. So what are the telltale signs, what are the common sense signs, so to speak, uh, yeah. that you, you've had uh, on an accounting basis that a company is, you know, hanky-panky? Uh, see, it, it on the nature of business. Like some, some nature of business, like for instance, right, um, recently I came across, across a, 
unlisted, right? So there was this people looking for me for, for my views about advice. Hey, there's this company looking for sale that in the trading business, um, their margin is double digit. Wow. Okay. For trading business. Exactly. Right. Ah, so that's it. Okay. I said, look, I said my first reaction is it's impossible. <laughs> I said it's, it's impossible, right? Yeah. They said, why? I said, look at it. The largest listed trading in Malaysia is DKSH. Yeah. Newton Keller. Yeah. Newton Keller, you look at the numbers, being the largest trading, they're making two to two over percent to three percent profit. Yeah, and trading yeah. is just an arbitrage game. Yeah, exactly. How can it be ten percent? You will sh- you should shrink exactly. all the time. Right? So it's, it's, it's common sense. Right? Yes, yes. Yeah. You, you, you can go and check the accounting, you can go and check the accounts. You look everything perfectly fine. Yeah. Okay. But the only thing that actually highlights to you something doesn't sound right yeah. it's common sense mm. ah. on, 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 on that similar note uh, what has been the okay for the lack of a better word the sneakiest accounting trick that you've seen so far in your experience the way that they hide the numbers the way that they in a way fake their numbers is the, the best that you've seen so far <laughs> any any case studies or examples you remember the, the most convenient way for company I won't say to fake accounting yeah. but to actually continue to generate Massive growth uh-huh. by acquisition. Okay. Right? Mm. Because once you buy, you, ac- you consolidate their revenue, you're going to yeah. buy another one to consolidate revenue. Right? Yeah. I don't think that, that is quite. I would say it's, sneak, it's not wrong. Okay. It's not wrong. It's not, yeah. But it's something that is quite smartly done okay. in that sense, right? So okay. I don't know why some companies they are going a path of MA. You know, mm. It's actually to generate debt. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've seen that also in Thailand, to be very honest. Very, ah. very, very honest. No? I used to I invest, I started investing in Thailand way back in 2008. Okay. Right? So there are really some companies where. I did ask them, can you break down between your organic growth and your acquisition growth, right? Uh, and uh. They refuse to give you that number. Oh, like, uh, right. right. Okay. So why why is that bad to the investor necessarily? See, how how long can you continue to buy to grow? Mm. Mm. That is always a limit. Mm. And once you reach a certain size, right, you, you have to buy a bigger company to actually continue to generate that. Mm. Right, but then you see what is the hazard? It's actually more of a moral hazard. Mm. See, you're you're buying a company not because it's going to be good for your investors or this is the right thing to do. You're buying it just to make sure my numbers looks good mm. that I'm continuing to be looked upon as I'm a very good manager mm. that I can grow the company right, mm. in mm. that sense. Right. So uh, I know you mentioned I think at our previous company we have uh, discussions about uh, accounting and uh, it has to do with um, loans right for a company when they mm. take loans right so. Uh, there are many ideas or many opinions about loans. Some people call it debt. Some people call it leverage. Mm. Which word do you like? Are you on the debt? <laughs> you're debt team debt or team leverage? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a believer of modern finance theories, mm-hmm. to be very honest. Mm. Right? Um, you, you see, all, all this concept about leverage, right, is designed by modern finance theories. You know, when they start to say, you need to improve your return on equities. Ah. So how do you improve your return on equities? You take more debts. You... Mm. you, you in a very layman term, when you do a business, you minimize the capital you put yourself. Yep. You try to yep. maximize using other people's money with it, and therefore you increase your return on equities. So this all this concept of leveraging for a company in their balance sheet is actually devised by all these finance guys, especially the modern finance theories, right? I am a very conventional mindset guy. Right? Mm-hmm. I always believe in a net cash balance sheet. Right? Mm. I, I'm not a believer of using debts. I think 2020 is actually the best way to actually prove this point. Mm. Whichever company that goes down <coughs> are the leverage guys. Mm. Yeah. Whichever company that are still standing and waiting to take opportunity because the comp- competition has shrink because mm. a lot of people are actually close shop are the guys with very strong balance sheet. Yep. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, before we move on to the next quarter, right? Uh, for accounting, so you mentioned, I think, uh, operating cash flow and of course, uh, you prefer a net cash position. Is there something else that you look at that you, that you think that, hey, you know, Investors should look at as yeah, well. Yeah, it's an important quality. It's very hard to find out this, but I would say hidden assets. 
in the ah. assets, in the sense, right? There are some assets within the company which actually is worth much more in the balance out of the balance sheet. It's off balance sheet, I think. No, right? it is in the balance sheet, but sometimes uh-huh. it is un- undiscovered. They never sense. revalue it or something. Is that yes. right? Okay. I think one, one of the best example was, of course, um, Slangor Properties. Bef- no, it was oh. still listed. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. You okay. Know, at that point in time, one just one piece of their land, just a single piece of land, is worth the whole market cap. Wow. Oh, solid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so they prob- probably, I don't know, like, I never follow, but they probably uh, take the company private at a premium, but uh, not as a bigger premium as it can could if have I, been. If I, if I have to rephrase that, <laughs> they take it private at a price that is higher than the last traded price, yeah, but yeah. discount to the price. <laughs> yeah. is, it, is it this phrase? Uh, um, what was this phrase that uh, I think investment bankers like to use? It's unfair but reasonable. Uh. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, it's, it's unfair but reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, unfair but reasonable. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't understand what that is. That's investing. My favorite quote, you, you don't have to die but you can go to heaven. <laughs> okay. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> I'd like to try that. Man. Where can I sign up for that? Okay, so, uh, so, okay, so you shared with us some very unique uh, insights about accounting and then of course earlier you shared about the qualitative assessment of the business economics now let's go to the third quarter which is management mm. right that's one of the, i would say of four probably that is the most challenging one mm. because you're trying to figure out you know who this other person is right and uh, i think you know those who are married who are listening you know <laughs> You may you may marry someone you think you know the person <laughs> and then whoops you uh, wake 20 up twenty years yeah so you sit in the same bed you 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 are together for so so long and then they say it's a different person and you know in the case of investing is a CEO far away you know probably you never see him in your whole life right so how how would one uh, and I think it also ties back to our discussion earlier on about uh you know institutions right where you guys can actually talk to these people yeah you have right. access to these people so what. How would you, or what are some of the criteria or key points or common sense points that you use to assess uh, management quality? There, there are a lot, a lot of parameters, right? Mm. Uh, really, there are a lot of, um, but what, my, my own trigger, my, my, let's talk about my, my mm, own trigger, mm, right? Mm. My first trigger is, of course, if, a, if the owner keeps talking about his share price. Ah. To me, that, that's the first trigger, right? Oh, to me, see, a see, as a CEO, your job is to run the business. Right, your sh- job is to actually deliver the results. Mm. Share price is not of your concern. It's mm. not of your control because share price is being given by the market. Mm. Right, but most of the time, if, if the owner keeps saying that hey, my share, especially this 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 phrase, uh, my company is undervalued. Uh, so whenever a CEO can tell me my company is <laughs> undervalued, I say, uh, okay, that's <laughs> 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 why you not buying back shares. <laughs> <laughs> uh, second is of course if 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 the owner come across too too marketing. I mean, okay. to, to okay. self-promote, to company promote that, and, and that this is the best company on, on in the face of Malaysia and things like that. Mm. Uh, that that were actually some of my trigger points in that sense, which makes me a bit uncomfortable. Mm. So th- those are on the negative aspect of things, right? Mm. So what are some of the positives one? Uh, obviously, you can say the opposite of these, yeah. but there's some things that when you look at it, well, that's really good. Mm. I, li- I want to see that in my manager. Ultimately, it is really reflected on to a certain extent back to how they run the company. Mm. Uh, is it very conservative or do they always use debts or leverage? Mm-hmm. Are they always on burning cash in terms of, of that? How they take care of their staff, right? Mm. The staff benefit, the staff incentive, how they pay themselves. Mm. All, all this comes into play to how we actually evaluate whether this is a good manager or not. Do you, how long does it take for you to evaluate? Because obviously, if you meet them only, like, let's say, once a year or twice a year, right? Or... Are there other ways besides physically meeting them to evaluate them? In your in your opinion, 
one one thing is I I do keep, when when I was managing funds I do keep in track I think once a month rather than oh day, oh, I do oh okay that's yeah, good because if your money is there yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. other people's <laughs> money there as well right? <laughs> but do they do they okay uh here here's a part where where I think maybe there's a difference between the institutional or professionals versus the uh. the retail guys right. If the retail guys don't have access to these guys running the business, which like you, like once a month, right? What would be the avenues for them to evaluate management? That's what I say. The ability to actually how well you understand the product, mm. the services, mm. are you able to track? Mm. I think that's why I say something visible that your eyes can monitor is something mm. very, very useful. Mm. Right? Uh, if you can observe, okay, suddenly that there are more uh, commercials coming out about this product, right? Um, suddenly eh, there are more people talking about it in social media. Mm. There are more people buying it. Suddenly your neighbor will start to use this brand of product. So that means they're doing something right. I see. Right. So, you know, Peter Lynch has a very famous saying that find a business that an idiot can run because eventually one will. Yeah. So he (laughs) seems to be indicating that management, whilst kind of cool to assess, actually is very difficult and in fact, maybe not even the most important thing. So where do you stand on that when you compare business quality and management quality? I I think... This actually came from from okay. What I'm going to say is actually come from Warren himself. Okay, he actually made a very, very good point. He said, if you if you have a fantastic business, mm. right, or a lousy manager, you you still do okay. Yeah, but if you have a lousy business and a fantastic management, it's not going to change a thing, right? Yeah. So, to some extent, the, the business still take precedence. Mm. Right? Of course, look at his best number one. He made the comment was actually Coke. Yeah. No, no, uh. Coke actually had a. There was a period I think in the 1990s, right. They have a string of five CEOs continuously, which yeah. actually destroy the value of Coke. Yeah. But because Coke value is so strong that despite they have a few jokers as running the company, it didn't destroy Coke. Right. Had, had Coke been a much weaker company, we have been destroyed by the first CEO. Mm. Oh, interesting, interesting. So um, before we move on to the final quarter, right? So uh, if you would share with us one experience where you got management wrong. So you assess them and you uh, at first glance mm. analyze, hey, this guy seems uh, pretty good. Mm. Then you put in your own money or even other people's mm. money into the fund and then it turns out, you know, the reverse mm. happened. Do you have such an instance? No, not really. I think most of the mistake I've done is actually my, my own judgment problem. Okay, ah. Not so much of the quality of management. I think my, my biggest mistake was actually, it's okay, if I were to categorize my mistakes in mm. investments, right, it all... S- is this 70% fall to the same category? Okay. Which okay. I was over bullish on the growth. Oh, <laughs> okay. Right, so you're so a growth investor. <laughs> la. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, 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 he's pulling a fast one on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Sometimes like, you try to convince yourself, right? Oh, hey, no, this time, it's, that means it, it, happen, it happens a lot to me, right? It's this like, time is different. Yeah, like, this, like, <laughs> paying, paying 50 times P for it, you know, because it's going to grow 50, 50%, 100%, right? It's yeah. going, going, going. This time is different, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, o- overpaying for growth was actually my most consistent mistake. Right, okay. which segues very good into the fourth quarter, which is valuation. Yeah. So you mentioned, <laughs> earlier, yeah. 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 you mentioned earlier on about you know don't buy stocks at a hundred PE, right? But of course that assumes uh, one that the PE is still a re- relevant metric. Now, uh, I have I, I'm on the mm-hmm. fence on this because I hear both sides. Uh, one side says that at the end of the day, reality needs to take place. Companies need to be profitable. Then the other side says that um, yes, it's true, but then the the um, the long term value or the lifetime value of a customer is very long and very high. But 
for you to acquire those customers, you will need to outlay a lot of capital expenditures, which then leads into things like depreciation and all that things, which will eat into the profits. And so you don't make any profits. Hence, the PE is actually not so relevant in that time period. So in terms of valuation, really what I want to ask is, is the PE still relevant? Or not? Uh, good question. Because there's a lot of lost leaders today, you know, you know those lost leaders, they yeah, like, just, I mean, just one market share, grab market share, it says, don't worry, the network effect will come in and that's where the profit will come in. So they can start monetizing. Yeah. Uh, Facebook had the same thing, they were loss making with the IPO, yeah. I believe, and then mm. after that, they switch on the, the, the advertisement tab and then now they're very even, even like grab, you know, today. Yeah, and yeah. You, you're seeing, you know, uh, Warren Buffett's uh, right-hand man uh, buying Snowflake, which yes. I believe is loss making. loss making, yeah. grabs and Ubers and all the world. So where do you stand on this? Discussion. Ultimately, I am more on the perspective of whether ultimately is it going to a business that can be profitable. Mm. It's really back to the business model. Mm. Right? Mm. I say, it asks the very two, two basic questions. Mm. For all these ventures that are still loss making, you ask a very basic question. Are they able to actually influence the price mm. or are they able to influence the cost? Mm. These two. But if they're in a business where they can't influence both, mm. then the 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 possibility of them continue to report loss for a long period of time is, mm. quite, is, is, is quite possible. Mm -hmm. right? Unless you can be loss making, but then if you have an ability to actually uncover these two, then the whole dynamics changes. Right? Mm. Right? A lot of people like to quote Amazon, right? Yeah, it's doing so yeah, 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 yeah. You know, people are laughing at it when it's 100 overtimes, PE, pay yeah. times. Right? Exactly. But what people don't realize is what is driving Amazon's profit now is totally different from what it was doing back then. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. correct. So, Honestly, for those who hold Amazon for the last 10 years and God, they're just lucky, right? Yeah. yeah. Because it's not something like Amazon created 10 years ago and now it's working. It's suddenly that, oh, I've created web services, right? <laughs> AWS. <laughs> AWS for Amazon was an experiment. They didn't even know they would succeed. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. so... No, it's, it's a good luck. It's really something good. But one right. point is, a lot of people try to use Amazon as an example, but people for or don't realize somehow that whatever drives them profitably now mm -hmm. is different from the business that was created. Right. Yes, correct. So okay, so uh, so you would from from my interpretation of what you said, it seems to me that one as an investor should still avoid un most unprofitable companies, but you need to understand the business that if it can maybe turn around, find something new, then it's it's okay to buy a negative PE stock. That's an interesting point because there's there's multiple answers that can stem stems coming from that. Right, mm, right. Mm. You look at the best investment that I've made are usually on turnarounds. Mm -hmm. When people, uh, those forgotten or people are so pessimistic, okay, this, this stock is going to die. Right? Mm. Yeah. But turnaround actually is one that makes the easiest return. Mm. Right? So that, that's number one, right? So I'm not saying that totally avoid turnaround companies, mm. but that's where most of the, we call it the alpha or the major return comes from. Yeah. The second thing is whether it's PE relevant, right? Um, see, stock market is actually quite complex. Mm. See, whether you are successful or not, it actually boils down to more than just PE. Mm -hmm. okay, let, let's go down. If you look at it, I have discussed this in, in my social media posting in my book. I, I asked ask a very basic question. What drives stock prices? Mm -hmm. Right. It's actually fundamentally, technically aside, I'm, I'm not a chartist, yeah. but fundamentally, you break it down, there's three elements that affect the share price. Mm. First, of course, is the earnings growth. Mm. Right. Whether can the earnings continue to grow? Mm. And to add on to that, the earnings growth must come as a surprise to the market. Mm. You need to say, out of expectation. Yeah. Maybe market will expect you to deliver 5% growth, but suddenly deliver, well, I can deliver 20% growth. Okay. Wow. So once there is a positive surprise on the, on the earnings growth, the share price will react. Right? Mm. The second is re-rating. Mm. I mean to say maybe last time, um, market only 
price them maybe you're only worth eight times PE. Mm. But then suddenly, because of the first factor, you suddenly deliver very strong growth. Markets suddenly say, hey, no, I don't think you're worth eight times anymore. I'm willing to pay you 16 times. And just simply by the eight to 16 times, the share price Double. actually doubled. Yeah. Right. The third one is actually the most important among these two. Mm-hmm. I, um, there's no official term for it, but I call it follow-through interest. Mm-hmm. Okay. What it actually simply means is that in market, right, it, wh- whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter. What is more important is whether other people also like it or not. <laughs> you, you, you can love the stock, it can be four mm. times PE, you can you can love it so much. Right? But it is a company that no one else cares about. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to stay at four times for a very yeah, long time. Exactly. Right? So that's the reality. Market, investing in market is actually much more complicated than just valuation or just a PE. It doesn't really mean that it's low PE, I'm going to make money out of it. Yeah. Um, a lot of people talk about Glove, right, recently, right? Um, I, I will give this analogy, very simple, right? If now I will give you, I have a proposal, I have this stock, um, I have my company, right? I'm going to sell you for, okay, I've got one, one million profit, for instance. I'm going to offer to sell for four million. I'm just going to sell four times PE. Yeah. But there, there is a caveat. I'm just telling you, next year or two years down the road, the profit will drop. Mm. But I don't know how much it will drop. Okay. It may, maybe it's dropped 500,000, it may drop 100,000, or it may go on to negative. I don't know. Mm. But now, I'm willing to sell you at four million for my business. Mm. Now, will you, will you be willing to buy it? Most people won't, I think. Exactly, right? Mm. See, now I can understand. That's the same situation faced in the glove. Sentiment, in a way, for lack of a better word, follow no, through. But what I'm Sen- hearing is that you're saying in year two, uh, you know, the glove companies will not oh, be as profitable or there's a chance. No, because you see, like it or not, right, demand will normalize. Normalize is not fall. Right? Yeah, yeah, go back to the old... old Pre-COVID. Uh. Correct. Um, growth will still be there, mm. but the growth won't be as strong as during this period. Right? Of course, yeah. So then, boys, now, if, for those who run business, you know, AS... The, the million dollar question, can yeah. the current average selling price hold for the next two, three years? Mm. Right. right. It's only a matter of time before ASP will have to readjust itself yeah. or the average selling price. Reverse, reversion to the mean. <laughs> it, it may not... Okay, if you give a very simple example, assuming our average said $20 previously before COVID, yeah. right? mm-hmm. now say for instance, theoretically, it got up to $100. $100. Per 1,000 pieces. Right. Uh, yeah. So, even after adjustment, it may not go back to 20. Okay. It may go back to 50. Okay. See, 50 is still much higher than 20. Yep. But from 100 to 50, that's a 50% off. Mm. Yeah. See? So that's why now we can understand why despite a lot of people saying that it's cheap, it's single mm. digit, but mm. why it's not getting that follow-through interest? Mm. Because people are just waiting to see how much it's going to drop in future. I see. Because readjustment is a certainty. Yeah. The only uncertainty is how much. I see. So in a way, if let's just say to follow through that question, if the the readjustment exceeded people's expectation, that means let's just say they foresee ASP to drop by 50%. But after two years normalization, they dropped by 30%. Mm. Just, just to give an example, I put it, then the an- analysts will come up with a re-rating, then there's more people, market, that, that is the follow-through that you're yes. talking about. La. Until more, more clarity can be seen about I see. what extent is the impact. I see. So okay. then I guess the next I think question that we all want to know is, in your view, right? how do you gauge follow-through interest? How do you tell? Yeah. How, right? how is it measured in a way? Yeah, what's the closest thing you can have to measure? Because I know this is a, it's like trying to figure out the mood of the market. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, correct. Actually, the, the sentiment of the market. Sentiment, like. right? There, there are periods where it's quite easy to guess. Okay. Once it gets quite easy to, to, to predict, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, there are some periods where it's quite difficult. Like mm. last year, it was very easy. I, I'm sorry, we mentioned way back in March, right? You know, before the big. So I said, mm. we just think of perspective. If everybody had to go, if there's a lockdown, people had to work from home. Yeah. Definitely the demand for, Devices will increase. Yeah. The demand for bandwidth, right? yes. and so on and so forth, and therefore the tech is always the best beneficiary. So it's something quite obvious. But mm. Of course, you know, you, you, I, I think I mentioned in, in March, April, and May, people was like, 
are you sure? <laughs> right. But when something anything catches up, yeah. well, then you have a you have that the, 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 the super tech run on that basis, right? Yeah. Now think about it. Now we are talking about vaccination. I think globally, as you're talking, I think there's already four hundred million of vaccine being administered mm-hmm. on, on mm-hmm. humans, right? Yeah. Okay, so now we're actually talking about recovery. Mm. So now think about it. Just put yourself as an investor, right? Now during a recovery stage, what do you think will benefit? So Peter, what? What <laughs> 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 I, I wrote the poem early this year. I'm not sure. I, I yeah, 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 I, 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 I read, read the poem. Yes, I read the poem. Long and short, one of it is like think about it again. Very logical terms. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of businesses last year. They are good companies, but they are not able to generate their sales because of lockdown. Yes, right. But once the market start to or the economy start to open up, mm. these are the survivors' strong balance sheet. So these are people who go capture the market. Correct. So their lack of sales last year was not due to a bad management. Bad yeah. It's just, just circumstances. circumstances uh. right. mm. So think about it. Once the economy starts to open up, mm. what will their sales be? And then compare to that to what is the current valuation. Yeah. So these are the easier part to actually see forward of what is the next industry. That's right. mm. So you mentioned C4 and that's a very interesting thing, right? Because one response to your point about top glove could be that... Even I'm not saying about top glove, I'm glove generally. Yeah, glove generally. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but of course, I think the big... The, the people are talking about the big three, like Hatlega, top glove, and Sumax. Now, we're not talking about individual stocks, you're right. But I think one response is that, yeah, so we get that, um, you know, follow through in terms mm. is important. But it's hard to know when it's going to come. Yeah. And so maybe I'll just put a position earlier. I'd rather be earlier than late. Does that make sense to you? Yes, yes, yes. See, investment is all about being early than other people. Mm, mm. You, you have to see the trend much earlier. Yeah. Mm. Um, th- that's, that's, that's how it works, right? Uh, if you really think about it, right, do anybody still talk about daily cases? No. Do anybody still talk about COVID? I'm, so I'm, see, I'm immune to it, really. Yeah. <laughs> so, see, that COVID trend has already ended. See, just that, we, we don't take a step back to think about it, but if we really take a step back to think about it, we, we have stopped looking at what's the daily cases. Yeah. We have stopped looking about COVID. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Traffic jams are back. Yeah. So no, actually, sadly, yeah. No, just think back. It's back to normal. It's back to normal. So what are that businesses that are going to benefit mm-hmm. once this back to normal trend goes on? So um, I'm going to name a few industries, <laughs> <laughs> and you tell me what you think. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> so I think one industry that didn't do very well is the retail industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, let's start with the retail industry. Where do you where, what do you see in the retail industry? Re- retail definitely will, will be coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it depends on which companies, right? There are some companies where the retail are not so Malaysia-centric. Mm-hmm. They're more globally-centric and that one is actually more challenging. Mm. But in terms of Malaysia-centric... Okay, why is it more challenging if it's global? It's a different dynamics. Okay. I mean, when we're talking specifically about listed companies in Malaysia, right? Mm. Yeah, there are certain... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I shan't name names, but I think that is more challenging because of the location that they're operating their business. Mm, right? I see. Um, there are some that I think still still quite well. Mm. Um, there's one that has tons of cash in the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. It's quite interesting. You guys got the Henry, yeah? <laughs> go, go start hunting, guys. <laughs> so, you know, you know, in the US, we're already seeing this trend, right? You mm. look at US statistics, there's this thing called revenge spending that already happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow, interesting. Don't, don't even talk about uh, looking at data, right? I think even if you ask around your peers or your family members, right, they are more willing to spend because of this pent-up demand. They have yeah. saved so much, you know, income still coming yeah. in. And then all of a sudden, oh, they spend double of what they used to spend on this particular item yeah. because of that. Yeah, and speaking of the US, they have that uh, 1,400 stimulus yeah. check, right? So yeah. it's like the revenge. Right. <laughs> so that's that's retail. Uh, okay. Uh, how about, uh, so you mentioned traffic jam just now, automotive. Mm. 
Automotive is tricky because there's a global chip shortages. Ah, mm. okay, which yeah. cost a lot of cars. The demand is there. Mm. Um, but a lot of cars can't be produced. I think that that's the challenge. I see. For automotive. I see. Um, I'm quite 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 worried about that. In fact, you know, I have my I have my market outlook session in January. I yes. Can see. Um, the automotive actually is a very important part of the global economy mm. because of, of the whole value chain is very, very wide. Mm. Of course. So, mm. if, if That's why uh, Tun M wants to build a, uh, national, a car. national car here, right? So, <laughs> so we have a lot of jobs. But okay, <laughs> different discussion. <laughs> <laughs> no, because remember Peter used to share, there was one session that he he's actually, if, I don't know whether your stance has changed, but you are supportive of the national car project, right? We have to separate both aspects, right? Yes. We have to separate between Proton as a company mm. in terms of the profitability, mm. and but on the separate is a national car plan. Yeah, the policy of having the a national car plan. You see, if you really think about it, right? Whatever we see about plastic injections, metal stamping, mm. all this will have not been made possible had we don't have automotive. Uh, agree. It actually is still possible, but the automotive sector actually accelerates this metal stamping, this uh, uh, resins, this plastic components, which comes to what we are seeing in our EIE today. Yeah. Right? Yes. Actually, it dispersed from that. I see. So, in terms of decision, I was saying that it was right, but in terms of a car, that was wrong. Uh, <laughs> the company and the car was wrong. Okay, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. So, I mean, you know, the automotive industry is very big, as you mentioned, right? So, there are many uh, places in the supply chain. Uh, having analyzed the Malaysian market automotive-wise uh, for quite a bit now, right? Would you say that there are actually many companies, of course, you're not going to name names, but would you say there are many companies actually linked that, li uh, that are listed that you know Malaysian investors can actually look at as an attractive I investment? Th I think the unfortunate part is we don't really have an automotive company in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. We really don't. In mm -hmm. the sense, if you think about it, how do I define automotive companies? Are companies that really create their own... Right. Like the GMs or the Fords of this world. Uh. Yeah. You see, even as much as we respect, we, we like Perudua. I mean, I like Perudua. It's a very decent car. But no... Perudua, we all know, they are rebatched Daihatsus. Yes. Rebatched Toyotas, right? Yes. You just come a blueprint, you just change the grill a bit, just change the specs a bit. Just and slap, the name, and slap yeah. a patch on. Yeah. There you have. Yeah. It's, it's a Perudua. Yeah. I think Proton was the really the closest company that comes to creating their own car. Mm. That's true. You know, started mm. by the Proton Waja in the year 2000. Yeah. It's really created yeah. by, by Proton. Especially the Campro series, right? That time. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So, but unfortunately, once it's privatized, and now you see, it's unfortunate, it's going back to the old direction where now, Again, Proton no longer manufactures its own car. Mm. I mean, your X70 is a rebatch Chili, your X50 is a rebatch Chili. Correct. And that will be the direction going forward. So, if you really ask the basic question, do we really have an automotive company? Mm -hmm. We don't. The other categories are all distributors. Mm. Ah. Right? Burma is a distributor for Mazda. Yeah. Tan Chong. They're just yeah. distributors. They don't really manufacture car per se. Right? Mm. So, I think that, that's quite an unfortunate part. So how about the supply chain? So the maybe the components within the car. So like you mentioned earlier on that chip, there's a chip shortages. So mm. that, that may not be able to fulfill demand mm. because of supply uh, uh, issues, right? So what does this mean for the uh, guys producing, I don't know, certain components of the car, maybe the glass, the chassis? So if, if you think about it, right? Now, now the hot thing about semicon is, of course, the shortage. So people assume your prices are going up. Mm. But see, but if a car cannot be produced, the car wouldn't be putting your component in. You may be able to see the fruit, but you're not able to enjoy it. Mm. So you may have this theoretical prices for chips are soaring. Yes. Yes. But if the car's not producing, yeah. <laughs> 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 you have the water but no fertilizer. Yeah, so exactly, yeah. Right. yeah. So, I mean things are yeah, things are more complex, you know, than just yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, you just see a very simple perspective. Oh yeah, no, there's a chip shortages, chip shortages price are going up. Let's invest in the tech stocks. Mm. Right. Mm. 
But I mean, like, just going back to automotive, uh, of course, there's no, like you said, creator of automotive industries, but is there any opportunities for any investor to hop onto this uh, automotive train? As in, if it grows, like you said, there's demand, and I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that supply, the supply-demand gap will shrink a bit. Mm. So this is an opportunity in the automotive industry. Anyone in the Malaysian space that if an investor wants to take advantage of, they can. Num- numbers are very important. Num- okay, when I said numbers, is you must understand the number of cars being sold. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I shared with you just now, um, previously, Vios is around 4,000 a month. That's the highest. Previously, it was the highest. Now, actually, City has overtaken the position. Mm-hmm. City mm-hmm. is around three to 4,000 a month okay. per, uh, on a per-module basis. right? The highest number is always Aludua. Mm. My V has the sole spot of seven thousand a month. That that is unbeatable <laughs> for, for many many years. The king of the road. The right? king of the road. Now understand why when you turn left and turn right, it's always the My V, right? Because it's seven thousand a month. Yeah. And, and really, no no cars that actually hit that yeah. magic number. I said the, the next highest is three to four thousand. Yeah. yeah, you have this seven thousand in My V. It's right? double, you know. It's double. It's yeah. Then I understand why there's so many My Vs on the yes, road. Right? Yes. Um. Next, I think it's Beza. I think Beza plus minus. I think it's almost four thousand. If okay. I could be wrong. Okay. Because they stopped publishing the official statistics. Ah. Interesting. Uh, many years ago. Okay, so why I said numbers are important, right? See, when 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 Burmas was or Bajai Auto was listed way back in 2014, mm. 2013, I say, mm, 2013, mm. right? It's a very easy thing because of the numbers. See, that time Burmas was only selling maybe plus minus on a month basis, purely 900 cars. So combined, lah, all the models. All are. the models. So at that time when they go for listing, they say my target is to hit thousand eight double. Okay. So when you look at double, you're like, hey, can or not? <laughs> but if you look at the numbers, right? Hey, all the models combined is 900. Yeah. Can master sell combined 1,008? Why not? Yeah. So it's actually very achievable. Mm. So that actually gave me the confidence to actually go for subscribe for the IPO, I mean, under the funds at time, right? Yeah. And true enough, I think within two, three years, they actually hit that number. Mm. So, so I say, for you to invest in, in auto car companies, that's why I think the understanding that numbers make sense. Mm. I think MJ is coming from a point of rather than just purely yeah. uh, look at an automotive, uh, man, uh, uh, even a distro- uh, yeah. manufacturer or distributor, right? He's saying that let's just say there are certain companies that produce components of a car manufacturer mm. but may not necessarily be a car manufacturer in Malaysia. So those companies that are in a value chain in Malaysia that supply to probably a global market somewhere else, uh, to a car. It's, it's, it's very difficult. It's yeah. very, very difficult. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you think about it, Malaysia, we are, it's due to, again, due to the policies, right? We mm. are not really a global hub. Mm. A global hub is more of Thailand. Thailand is really more of a global hub. Mm. More regional hub to be in the you know, yeah. lack of a better word, right? You do notice in Busan, Malaysia, for the last 15 years, do you notice one by one of the auto parts companies have actually started to delisted, delisted, delisted. Oh, no. Oh, I didn't notice that. Okay. A lot actually been delisted. Okay. Voluntary delisted, right? They actually exit the market. I see. So now, if I reverse the question, what, what are the auto parts companies you know that is still listed in Malaysia? There's <laughs> not much, actually. Actually, more for some may be doing testing services for the auto industry. Okay. Uh, some may be supplying maybe OEM parts yeah. for certain parts like the LED lights and all that kind of they thing. They still rely a lot on Prudhoe and Proton. So I not, see. Not so much on, I see. On, on the global, we, we are actually out of the global chain. I see. Mm. So again, it's quite an unfortunate. It's situation. quite sad. Like, yeah, yeah no, because I, I'm, I, I, I relate to what you said because I have a friend. Uh, he's one of the largest uh, spare part uh, suppliers in Malaysia. Mm. Uh, he supplies parts to Prudhoe, uh, Mazda and all that. He's, he, he doesn't get his parts from Malaysia. All from Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> Everything from Thailand. So quite sad. Well, that yeah. Um, stop talking about sad things now. <laughs> uh, okay. So hopefully, okay. So now we go to now we go to oil. Okay. And when I say oil, uh, crude okay. and palm. 
Mm. I think these are big contributors to the Malaysian economy. So uh, crude has not, oil has not been doing too well, but it's slowly creeping up. Uh, I've not really looked at the palm oil industry, but it's linked to uh, if people go for more shopping, if people go out to makan, buy things or that, I would assume, I don't know, but I would assume that palm oil would have some sort of uh, resuscitation. So, you know, start with crude, you know, where do you, where do you see these two oils uh, going? What is interesting is, you know, I, my monthly market outlook session, in mm. fact, um, one will be end of this month. Mm, we'll actually, mm. be talking about this. Almost, if we're talking about, we'll be complaining about this so-called. I call it the super, what the super commodity, commodity cycle, cycle, right? No, yeah, not, not I call it, but yeah, but is it <coughs> is it real? If if we really take a step back and think mm. about it, right? This is not a new theory. Mm. This super commodity cycle theory has been around since the year two thousands, right? Where mm. you know everything spike up. Yeah, but if you take a step back, I say, investing about common sense. Mm. Take a step back and think about it. If this cycle really makes sense, mm. but why isn't all commodities prices continue to go up from then until now? Mm. Why, why it's not not like it yeah. should be a linear trend going up. It should be right because you see the the basis argument behind this super cycle theory for all commodities is it hinges on two aspects: mm. the increasing human population mm. and the scarcity of land bank. Mm. That's it. It only hinges on these two, mm. and it's still apparent now as compared to then. So if this super cycle commodity super commodity cycle is 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 true, right? Then why isn't the prices moving in that direction, mm. right? Because whatever is true, then it's still true now. I mean, yeah. human population is growing. At, like, <coughs> no, no, it's quite scary. No, no, we, we hit one billion population, or we add one billion population every ten years. Wow, <laughs> solid, yeah. It's, it's Crazy. Scary. Every ten years, we, we add one billion population. Biggest contributor, China, I guess, or India. No, no China will be shrinking soon. Really. Shrinking. I think it's in yeah. India, Indonesia, Brazil. So C and the BRIC countries, I guess. Uh, no, Russia is not. China yeah. is not. Yeah. India is. Brazil, yes. Ah. So if you cut the last three spike of commodity prices, see in the year two thousand to two thousand eight, that spike was actually due to I said maybe correctly the BRIC. It was yeah. okay. That time China was actually fast implementing infrastructure projects, right? mm, so they actually mm. consume major importer of all the commodities. Sure. Yeah. So that caused the first surge in commodities. The steels, the yes, copper. Correct. Yeah. So it ended because of the great financial crisis, right? Mm. The second surge was actually in 2010 to 2012, 13. Mm. That one, I call it, was mainly driven not because of brick expanding economies. Mm. It's really more of there's too much excess liquidity because of stimulus. And and stimulus. Mm. Yes. Now we're actually at the third stage of a major rise. So if you really take a step back, what has really changed? To me, I was still, I was still this is my personal view, right? That mm. the current surge is not so much of demand and supply, but again, again, it's back to liquidity issues. Mm. There's just so much stimulus globally and all these financial instruments, the liquidity actually goes to all these futures, mm. CPO futures, your these futures and whatnot. So what I think is commodity now is actually no longer being affected by supply and demand. If mm. you go and plot the chart, wow. beat any commodity, soybean oil, supply and demand, CPO, supply and demand, oil supply and demand, Actually, there's no shortages mm. in any commodities. <laughs> it's right. really stimulus money, helicopter money, lah. It's helicopter money. <laughs> right. So we, so I mean, fair to say, based on what you're saying, is that essentially the prices are a bit artificially stimulated, in a way. It's the futures. Yes, there's so much excess liquidity in the market. Mm. Then you look at Malaysian planters, right? That the other aspect of it, another million dollar question, right? Yeah. With, with CPO hitting this four thousand. Four thousand. But yeah. why? Why isn't the share price moving? Yeah. Because yeah. The, the yeah. Another aspect of it. First thing is. I say, if you really look at it, what is causing this surge in price? The first question that you ask is, is this sustainable? Mm. My, my, my take is, I, I don't think so. I mm. don't think it's going to be normal. I would say, no, my, it, it, it I don't think it will stay at this level for, 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 for a long period of time. Okay. Because if you look at it, it's also affected by soybean. 
Yeah. Soybean going to be quite a massive planting this year. That's mm. what we So if you really look at the price of soybean and the price of CPO, somehow magically they're quite close. Cor- correlated. 95% uh. correlated. <laughs> <laughs> they are substitutions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's the funny part. They are not really substitution. Ah. Because, see, interesting part, see, soybean oil or soybean oil is actually not a main product. It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct. The <laughs> main usage of soybeans is actually animal feed. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So when they agriculture it's feed. agriculture feed. So soybean oil, it is a byproduct. Yeah. And if you're a meal that uses, uh, or if you're a meal that mills CPO, you cannot interchange now today. I got a new CPO. <laughs> down <from> new <laughs> but somehow, right, people view it as a, a competing product, which oh. is quite amazing. Yeah. I, I can't explain why, yeah. but it is being deemed as a competing product, right? Mm. Um, so that, that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it, you look at profitability of Malaysian planters. Mm. It, it, it actually declined substantially. Oh. Why is that? Why is that? You look at maybe plus minus, uh, 15, 15 years, 20 years ago, maybe they, are, they can have a GP of 40 over percent. Okay. But if okay. you look at their GP now, it's barely 20%. Cost structure has changed. Because of is it because of minimum wage? Uh, because a lot of uh, I, I know palm oil planters they rely a lot of foreign labor because it's very labor intensive, and right? And also government policies. Ah, government policies also it's not doing the cost, fa- not creating a favorable cost structure. Right, in I see. Malaysia. I see. So the definitely the the, the, the profitability of planters now mm. are, very, are not like way back in the 2000s, right? When I that see. time when there's a commodity boom, everybody benefit. I but see. now because the cost structure actually changed. I see. So they may not be as profitable as they used to. Right. So see. they actually give you the perspective of why is it, despite CPO hitting this level, mm. why isn't the, the, the CPO price or, or, the, or the planters Sh- value mm. the share mm. price? Mm. Right. Good so, insight. So does this mean, right, that people should be, in a way, staying away from the palm oil industry? Or... Does it mean that actually because uh, the reputation now is so bad, there's not a lot of follow-through interest, so to speak, therefore there's some opportunities for undervaluation? Where do you sit when it comes to palm oil? Honestly, I, I don't really follow palm oil, so I'm not, I'm not an expert I in see. this okay. area. So okay. maybe, but for investors who, if, okay, if, you, if you are in the palm oil business mm. and you really know that this price is going to sustain mm. and you can really, not you can really predict, right? you can really see that this trend will sustain, then you have that industry knowledge. Mm. Then be comfortable, then you can actually invest in it. Mm. But because I'm coming from an outsider view, which mm. I view it, I could be wrong, that mm. it's not going to be sustainable. I see. Therefore, I'm not investing in it. Mm. Right. Okay. Understand. Okay. Yeah. Great, great. So that so you talk about uh, just last two uh, uh, industries which are linked. Mm. Um, so you one of the big things that, unfortunately now not a lot of people are talking about, but one of the big things that happened during MCO mm. was uh, moratorium. Mm. Right, banking, <laughs> right. People are saying, "Oh, you know, now the no one pays the bank, so the banks are going to be really bad." Yeah. I think May Bank, Public Bank, all that took a huge uh, dip in price. Right. Uh, huge by banking standards, lah. Okay? Yeah. Not not tax standards. <laughs> different, different. Huge. I think it's like down like 15, 20 or maybe even more percent, right? Mm. So, if I were someone, you know, going back to your original point about looking forward, right? Mm. Uh, that now MCO is over, no one really cares. Really, you know, hot pot places are super packed and all that. Um and now moratorium is lifted already, right? Mm. I'm saying yeah, it's lifted already. And then now, w- would that mean that there's going to be a banking recovery? One, and two, one ar- one uh industry that is very linked to banking is the uh building or the construction industry, mm. right? Because they they presumably they get a lot of loans from there, right? You need a house and all that. So what do you think of these two industries? Okay, if you look at banking. We must look at the way they account for their accounts, right? Mm. So even during the loan moratorium. Mm. The interest accrued are still being accrued. Yeah. Ah. So they're still recognizing that. It, it's just deferred in a way, right? No, they're just recognizing that, but at the same time, mm-hmm. they're actually 
will recognize a, a potential uh, impairment on it. Do they call it a resu- reserves? Do they do they use the word? I don't know what term they call it. Okay, yeah. yeah okay, but the, it doesn't show out on the cash flow because no one's giving them cash. But correct. But on the gap earnings, they yes, have on the earnings they still recognize that it's not a it's not a non-performing loan. Ah. It's, not, it's not an NPL it's yet. It's not NPL yet. 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 Right? Because yeah. as long as I'm just accruing there's a moratorium of six months, but during the six months, actually they are still accruing, mm, mm. recognizing the amount that you should have been paid. Yeah. Mm, right? mm. And at the same time, they are doing provisions to it. Mm. On the, on the, the provision, yes, yes. On the possibility that you can't pay. The impact Do they call it GIL? The GIL, uh, gross impact loans. Is that the term they use? I remember I was studying this. Them, I don't know. Okay, anyway. Yeah, sorry, continue. So, so by right, actually, there's, there's not much impact, quote unquote. Mm. The only impact is coming on the provisions. That is actually, yeah. So as long as people are still paying or mm. they may be paying a lesser amount due to the restructuring of loan, so it's not being recognized as a non-performing loan. Mm. But one thing for sure is look at last year, which is quite interesting, is you know actually banks did very well, generally all banks did very well on the treasury side. Mm. Mm. So actually, <laughs> treasury was a, was performing at record level wow. last year. But again, why you're not seeing in bank financial statements is because of the provisions. Mm. Uh, my theory is it will look very evil if the bank during this period report of <laughs> abnormal supernormal <laughs> profits, right? So you have to match expectations. So you better put in more provisions to make it look part, part provisions, normal. and then the moment everything is back to normal, then release the provisions. Because it no happen, right? Assuming one bank will report supernormal profit, then the people will go and make all, all the all the rich. Hey, why why there's no more profit? Why the rich get richer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you should moratorium. No? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should suffer with all of us. You know, right. that, that, that's my take, right? Yeah. Uh, construction activities. Look at it on, on, on just on the perspective. Uh. Mm. So maybe say, say assuming before. COVID, we, we market at 100 level, right? Yeah. Because during COVID that time, it's down to 20. Mm. Now you're actually coming recovery to maybe 30 to 40. Okay. So it's actually uh. not, not reach a, a pre, just take 100 as a benchmark. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 so yeah. now we're actually recovering from 20 to 30, which is actually very, very good activity. I like see. It will take some time before it goes back to the pre-COVID level. I see. But definitely you're seeing more construction activities coming along now. Mm. And which, again, you're right. Because when there's more construction activities, there's more working capital. Mm. And this will actually benefit the, the financial, the banks or the yeah. finance industry. Yes. So, so, I mean, uh, I have two questions about construction. The first is, why do you think that it is not back at 100? Right? Why, uh, and the second one is, uh, if you were to invest in the construction industry, because it's a huge industry, right? Yeah. What are some of the pockets you invest in? Or you invest in all pockets? I, I don't. I've never really invested in construction companies mm, uh, mm. because see, what's interesting is, I was, again, it's always a, a joke, but it's, it's real. Right. In Malaysia, nobody invests in construction companies for the profit. Oh. Ah. You invest on the news flow. Oh. You notice, <laughs> Whether they get the project or no, not. No, as long as before, even before they get the project, you no know, share price will go. Once they announce they got the project, the share price will drop. Ah. And, and nobody will go and wait for them to deliver the earnings from their project. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just the whis- whispers in the market. Yeah. Buy at the whispers, and then the moment the thing is. Eh, now it's uh, weakened. Simple. See, have anyone actually waited to count how much true, Gabuda true, is speaking for MRT2? Or even Nobody GCAN, can, right? Or, or even GCAN, right? <laughs> so it's going to get the rumor, I think it's going to get the MRT2. Well, the share price will go up already. Yeah. Once announced, oh, they want the MRT2, the share price will weaken. <laughs> and that's it. That, that's the end of the story. Right? You have to wait for the next major announcement. Right? So Gosh. nobody's going to wait. Uh, how, wait for okay, MRT delivery, how much? Go and ask any analyst. How much is MRT contributing to Gamuda's profit now? <laughs> nobody knows. Yeah, yeah. That's nobody a good cares, point. Right? <laughs> 
gosh, <laughs> man. Yeah, that that is a very uh, yeah insightful. That's, that's one one that's one aspect of what you discuss, which is the follow through interest. Uh, yeah. this kind of yeah, interest, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> right. Whereas, like, you look at the the, the top glove or the super max one. Everyone's starting to calculate ASPs and ASPs, the P's. Everyone yes. knows the earnings. You know yeah. how much cash they have. Or oh, they're, they're they're taking guesses at how much they're gonna earn per quarter. Right. It's like oh yeah, yeah two billion. I find quarter. it very interesting. No, that's, that's the first element. That's like I stress. Uh, see. Earnings growth is one thing, but as I mentioned, eh, the earnings growth must come at a surprise. Mm. If your earnings growth is already within market expectation, there's no surprise. It's already parked in. It's parked in. Yeah, I understand. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's okay. So so I think we, we, we breeze through, I think, eight industries that uh, have potentials for recovery. So this is uh, for those of you who are listening, this is your you know, six months. 12 months. I think look ahead. For one industry, building mats. <laughs> oh, building materials. Ah, she's linked to. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. What, what, t- t- tell us about it. Uh, I think, I think, uh, um, among all the building mats, I think steel price has recovered to a certain extent. But I think there are other building mats which, again, going to benefit when these construction activities actually start to right. gain momentum. I think it's also one industry that I, I quite like it. To I extent. see. Like, okay, so what is the difference between uh, analyzing and buying Companies that build and companies that supply building materials. What is the key difference between these two? The key difference is for all these construction companies, I said, their their share price move due to news flow, not on deliveries. But whereas the activity base will affect the building materials, guys. So see, the building materials are more affected not by the news flow of they winning certain project, but the building materials will be more affected by when they really start to implement the project. So it's a bit more rational. uh, It's a bit more rational. Right. So when you say building materials, because uh, I've never analyzed the industry before, I'm thinking of things like aluminium, things like uh, iron, what else? Rubber, cement. Yeah. Uh, are you referring to this kind of company? Yep. I see. Okay. So guys, start hunting, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you it guys comes from MJ, it didn't come from me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, okay. So I think we talked a lot about, do you have anything else to say about building materials? Just uh, uh, Okay, okay, good. Um, now you talked a lot, we talked a lot about what, recovery stocks or industries that might be, i.e. undervalued opportunities. Now let's go over to what you think are, in your view, more overvalued. So, or rather unattractive. I don't, I wouldn't use the word overvalued, like unattractive. So you mentioned earlier on that gloves, in your view, is a bit unattractive because of follow-through interest, right? So um, one area that has a lot of follow through interest right now, maybe slightly less so now in 2021, is the tech sector. Mm. Um, but I don't think the prices have crashed a lot. Mm. They have corrected only. So I think there's an interesting situation now where at least quantitatively on a P basis or whatever you want to use, the tech sector looks overvalued, just optically. Mm. Mm. But yet there's still a lot of follow interest. Mm. So going back to your point about the three points, right? Earnings growth, uh, valuations, uh, re-rating, and full-tree interest. How do you analyze and think about the tech industry right now? If you look at the tech industry in terms of the tech index PE, mm. that's my average, right? We are actually now at close to 52 times. Wow. And the last time we hit that number was maybe in 2001, right? The tech. It was the tech boom, right? Okay. I, I always explain to people that, see, for the tech industry in 2021, earnings is not the issue. Or earnings delivery is not the issue. Definitely, generally, I wouldn't say all, right? The tech earnings for 2021 is definitely much 
going to be much better in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. The, the challenge for investors is not so much of whether they can deliver the earnings. The challenge for investors is whether the earnings delivered meets the expectation. Mm. Not a very simple example. Right? Assuming that you invest in a tech stock and you're going to pay 100 times PE for it because you expect the profit is going to double. So you say, well, if the profit double, I'm only paying 50 times for it. Okay, now, what if by the end of the year, the company delivers 80% growth in profit, which is no short of fantastic, right? It's still very, very strong earnings growth. Yes. But then, if you think about it, will investors be celebrating or will investors be disappointed? Be because they, their target was more than that. Exactly. So I said, the, the challenge for tech stocks in Malaysia this year is actually not earnings delivery. Right. It's whether the earnings delivered meet the expectation. Extreme, I would say extreme expectation of investors. Right. Yeah. Because it's uh, a lot of times people say this time is different. Oh, the boom from COVID is going to propel Semicon to a new level. That's why the justifications is justified in a way. But I, I think one 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 thing. Uh, okay, so I, let let me pretend to take the this time is different side, right? Mm. So let me tell you why this time is a bit different <laughs> from two thousand one, which <laughs> you mentioned. Okay, okay. so in two thousand one, the cost of capital or interest rates were a lot higher, mm. right? So obviously, if you right fifty times earnings, that's a two percent earnings you whatever it is, and maybe let's say we gross a hundred percent, then that's a four percent earnings you forward earnings you, right? Uh. Today, when you take a 4% earnings year and you compare it to whatever we have today in terms of fixed deposits, it's Risk like sub 2%. Yeah. But I think in the uh, early 2000s, it was a lot higher, maybe at 4 to 5%. Mm. So back then, you could say logically, if the tech index is at 50 times earnings, that therefore, and you can put it in risk-free for 5%, it's a clear case of undervaluation. Today, there's a lot of liquidity. Mm. So that if there's a lot of liquidity, interest rates are low, people want to park their money into elsewhere, right? So mm. that's one. Number two is, uh, because of this, the follow-through interest, despite the co uh, correction uh, for the tech industry, is still decently high because mm. tech is apparently going to solve all the problems in the world, right? So, <laughs> so, 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 so because of that... People might still think that there's room to run mm. because of this, and that's why this time is different. Yeah. Mm. So tell me why it's not different this time. <laughs> <laughs> Just playing devil advocate. Yeah, yeah. I said expectations. Yeah. They, they're going to deliver. This time is going to be different. They say, okay, I said they are going to deliver the earnings. Yeah. But what if the earnings they deliver is below what you expect? Right. So, th so the culprit is. Investors' expectations. expectations. Not mm. the delivery. Right. Investors' expectations. So if let's say it reverses, let's say instead of hitting 80%, it hits 120%, will you reconsider your thesis? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, thank, thank, you for your, thank you for your honesty. Because, because bear in mind, right? Semicon is still a cyclical sector. Mm. Oh, mm. yeah. The Agreed. only difference is, is it a longer cycle or a shorter cycle? I see. Mm. Yeah. But, being a longer cycle doesn't eliminate the fact it is a cyclical cycle. Yeah. Yes. yes. I, I, I want to tie this into something that happened to you uh, in 2018 when I was, yeah. I, I still didn't know you, but then I, I was reading about you, right? I think on age you were called like a fund manager of the year Semi or something no, like that. Semiconductor king. Semiconductor yeah. king. Yeah. 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 Uh, so the king now is uh, not so fond of his kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> he changed kingdom. Yeah, right? changed kingdom uh. Now he's now a building's material. Yeah. Right? No, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, Joe, sorry. So I remember you, I think it was something like 51% return. And then what was interesting about the second edition of your book was that you said 2019 was a challenging year. I yeah. presume because of 
your exposure to tech because it was also during that time where tech was having not very fun time, right? Yeah. 2020, 2021 so far has been a fun time for tech, right. but 2019 wasn't, right? Yeah. So is that why you're calling it cyclical or were there other lessons see, that you learned from that? That's a very good lesson. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, the trade, when Trump called for the trade war in early 2018, mm, mm. Um, there's a lot of negative sentiment towards tech. So yeah. actually tech went on a downtrend from 2018 to 2019. Okay. Right. But in reality, you look at earnings deliveries, actually among in, in Malaysia, 2018 and 19, tech was the sector that actually delivers earnings growth. I see. Right. So they come to the third bicycle follow through interest. Right? Uh, you, you can deliver earnings growth. But if the market right. is just not interested in you, I not see. In so you. That, that, that was a, that was a learning from you like, in, a, in a way. La. It is. It is. It really comes that, it, you know, like investment is actually much more than just valuation, then more than just earnings, earnings growth deliveries. Right? The, right. The, the, the market doesn't care whether you own the stock or whether you think the stock is undervalued. It's really about how, what they think okay. about it. La, so that's why, I, that's why I remember I mentioned the flow through interest is the most important factor. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> okay. Okay. All right, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So anyway, because you're in the you know the, the washroom just now, yeah. we, we're just talking about industries that he thinks are not so attractive Great. and undervalued. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, talk about glove tech. Are there any other industries you're looking today, whether local or global, where you think like it's a bit I, frothy? I really wish you don't keep repeating me on the glove. Right? I saw what happened to the edge when they write about glove. I saw what happened to Macquarie when they write about. Oh glove. yeah, <laughs> man. The Macquarie. No, you should see the Macquarie one, man. The, I think uh, the the. Yeah. the the trolls decided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so please don't stop quoting me. So <laughs> no, 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 no. You see, that, that's why what you said was very uh, good. I don't think anyone will, will kutu you. You know why? Because you said it's about follow through interest. It's yeah. not because people are saying it's undervalued. You're yeah. not saying it's not no, undervalued. undervalued. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, you're saying that the interest not so high on yeah. So either you you go somewhere else like building materials or you or you you wait. That's it. Yeah. Right? If there's yeah. any troll, please come to full. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but so anyway, um, yeah. Any anyway, I mean, apart from those two, are there any areas that you think that uh, it's a bit frothy? You no, know, really. Look at let's say Malaysia for instance. Mm -hmm. right? the, 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 this this actually the two best performing sector or the, over the past or, or year. Or to rephrase so. it, right? The only sector that actually performed last year. Mm. Right. The, all the other sectors are actually quite performing. Didn't really perform that well. Uh, still performing quite badly. Mm. Right. So I think. See, market move, move on. I say follow through interest. It's yeah. always the trend. Yeah, right. right. Um, every dog has his days. <laughs> I like that phrase. What are the possibilities <laughs> of those companies who are not in favor last year uh -huh. make a become the star this year? Mm. Mm. Those fallen out of fashion. And and you know tying back to your point about uh, some of your accounting metrics or quantitative that you look at because the thing about recovery stocks also is that they might fail, right? Mm. And uh, would it be fair for me to say that that it makes even more sense now that if you're going to go into recovery stocks that you buy companies that are, that do not have a lot of leverage because they would they they will have the best chance right. of surviving this tough period. That go for the market leaders, those with very strong balance sheet. Right? Mm. Because last year, we have, see, it, it, that's capitalism. Yes, well, that's free right, market, right? right. Yes, any, right. any recessions or any economic challenges will actually cause those weaker to close down. Yeah. yeah. Whoever stronger will be left to capture the balance market share. Survival of the fittest. Yeah. Right. right. Okay, man. Um, now, before we talked about uh, some of your other projects that you're working on now, uh, like Trident and all that, mm. I just want to ask you, right, of this what, 18 years of investing now, what are the biggest uh, investing lessons that you've learned personally? Yeah. And having seen so many different characters, so many different type of investors and whatnot, what is the biggest 
mistakes uh, that they make? Uh, I said the, the the bulk of my mistake is being too opti- optimistic about growth. Right. right? Okay. Exactly this is the situation, right? I mean, people are not people wouldn't mind paying excessive valuation simply because well this time is going to be different. The mm. earning growth will be this much, this much, this much, right? So o- overpaying for growth, I think, is going to be uh, constantly. I mean, even I'm still learning how to do yeah. how to manage this, right? Not to be too optimistic on on things that. I like it to a certain extent. Mm. I think this is one big challenge that investors need to manage. I see. I see. Right. And 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 um, from the sentiment that you see in the current market, right? Mm. Are people? I mean, over time, from your from the beginning of when you started investing until today, right? You still see that sentiment. People are still overpaying for growth. They are. They are. I mean, uh, okay. For for those who are aware. Or, or do more research on the numbers, mm. right? Somehow, some of them are still more aware to buy to, to pay for growth, right? Okay, okay. Or overgrowth expectation to some okay. extent. Okay. Um, of course, there are other categories who don't know any numbers, but as long as the share price grow, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's valuation. <laughs> share price grow. <laughs> momentum. It's called momentum. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So okay. Um. So now, uh, I know we, we, we were supposed to go into Trident and a little bit about your charity, but I forgot to ask you one very important question, which is actually about careers oh, in yeah, the yes. fund management industry. Correct, correct. So I've spoken to you before. You are actually, I would say you are pretty 50-50 on whether someone should become a fund manager or an analyst, <laughs> yeah. right? Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I want to ask you two questions. Uh, one, um. What does it take to become a, an analyst or a fund manager? And two, because now this is specific to be in the industry. You can mm. be an investor without being an analyst, mm. right? But suppose someone wants to become an analyst or a fund manager, what do they need to do to not only get in, but also excel? So yeah. first question. Second one is, is it a good idea to become one in the first place? I think uh, the unfortunate part is is the analyst and fund management industry is a very small industry. Mm. Very, very small. I think... Give and take, right? I don't have the official statistic. I think the whole Malaysia there's less than five hundred, maybe. Uh, you, you cl- wow. uh, including fund managers, no, analysts, everything. So it's a very niche market. You can count yourself, right? Say, say asset management houses, right? Mm. The most how many fund managers you have? Even the big ones, maybe you have five fund managers, mm. right? That's it. Analysts, maybe you have another five, ten. So ten per houses. Mm. So you just multiply yourself, right? So it's it's very small corner. So there are more stocks than uh, analysts. <laughs> Definitely for sure. <laughs> I think so. Uh, maybe, okay, maybe if I bump to maybe a thousand, but still, you're talking about niche. Still, 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 still very low. It's yeah. very small. So, it's really not easy to become an analyst. So, okay, this is just by observation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. So, a lot of people are able to get to be an analyst at a very ent- junior level. It's mainly got connection. Mm. Ah. Mm. You know people. Uh. You're somebody, somebody, you're somebody, 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 somebody. Because, you see, what what contributes to that factor is when when asset management or even when people are looking to hire analysts, mm. people don't like to train from scratch. Ah. they will rather pitch from another experienced person and you just join. So I don't have to train from scratch. So that further exacerbates the whole situation. I see. That's what I notice. You notice that it's really very seldom we see any adverts on analysts for hiring analysts. Ah, <laughs> I didn't know this. <laughs> Okay. I just pitch from other guys. Uh. <laughs> okay, is is it because uh, what what's the attrition rate in the sense that because if you said the community is so small, right? Mm. So in a way, if there is an attrition from one fun house, it's virtually just people hopping around and just uh, cycling. Uh. Yeah, yeah, just recycling. <laughs> and every time you hop, you get around you know, twenty, thirty percent pay increase. So now same as just hopping around. <laughs> wow. So so right. Is it? it uh, it's not that merit based. Am I right to say that it's not entirely merit based? I think the unfortunate part about the the endless industry in Malaysia is that see you have a lot of people going to the in- 
industry is simply because they are more attracted to the pay. Mm. Ah. It's not because of their passion that I want to do research. I love doing research. I want to wow. understand. I want to understand how things works. Yeah. It's not. So you see, when I interview a lot of people, say, "Why do you actually want to be an analyst?" You know, they like the glamour of it. You know, I'm an analyst, right? I get to meet CEOs. You know, I get to hang out with CEOs, right? Uh, I get good pays. No, actually, that, that's the motivation, unfortunately, right, of a lot of people going to analysts. Thank you, f- thank you for that. So, yeah. you know, capitalism being capitalism, right, if you don't put up valuable things in the market, you don't get a good pay, right? So, it, uh, in, the, <laughs> in, the, in the land in of the blind, yeah. one eye man is a king. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love that. I love that. Okay, okay. Is it, okay, this is actually some, something that I, I'm very uh, passionate about because I, I'm from outside of the industry. And, um, you know, uh, being in this podcast, I think one, one of the reasons why we created uh, was actually to level the playing field. And the struggle is that most people, uh, now, now that you mentioned, it's very difficult to get into the industry. The struggle is that a lot of incentivization structure does not favor mm. the, the, the guy on the ground. When I said, I, I think you know what I mean. The second thing is that there is a lack of proliferation. Like, like if you go to the US or at other mature markets, uh, it's much easier or less friction for someone to start a fund. Mm. Do you see that as a stifling mechanism here, especially with the SC and all that? To someone to, you know, someone who is pretty good, pretty good at analysis, but he's not from the industry, he's not from the inner circle, who wants to start something. You think policies can help change that from your point of view? I think if you really think about it, I think the challenge is, see, Securities Commission's uh, objective uh-huh. is actually to protect the retailers or to protect the less informed mm. uh, from being manipulated or being used. So that's where the position that they are, they are actually coming. That's why, whether you like it or not, Malaysia is actually one of the very highly regulated mm. yeah. of the securities uh, industry yeah. in that sense. Uh, is it right or is it wrong? Well, I would guess it's tough. It's tough. So mm. To me, my, my take is this, right? I think you're totally right. Um, unfortunately, a lot of retailers are being played with to, to a certain extent or uh, they're at the shorter end of the stick. Yeah. Right? I think what can really help the industry, of course, if there are more courses for them or there are more uh, avenues for them to actually gain the right uh, attitude, the right mindset and the right knowledge. Mm. I think rather than just uh, clamping down, I think what, what SC can do is more on, uh, on the more friendly... Frameworks, frameworks, framework licensing. Yeah, yeah, right. So if you look at currently at this moment, right, to actually get the investment or set a company with investment advisory license, mm. you, know, you look at the amount of requirements. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we are aware. Yeah, <laughs> it's as close to getting an asset management license. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was joking, my friend. Yeah. I said, hey, but, but actually, I was exploring recently. I said I should, I should get a license. So I look at the requirement. I say, hey, if I take the effort to get a to meet all these things just for investment license, mm. I might as well do all these things to get an asset management license. Correct, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, but then on the other hand, you must also give kudos to the SC. I think recently they actually changed, they, they actually further liberate the market mm. and allow the unit tra- financial planners mm. to also advise on stocks. Great. Which I think this is actually a very, very good move. That Great. actually allows the unit trust or, or the financial planners which we have out there mm-hmm. to actually let them play an additional role to actually educate the market. Great. So on Great. one hand, yes, this part of the licensing, they're still very strict. But mm. online, we also give credit to them that actually, they're actually starting, you can see them liberating the market. Great. Which is actually, would be very, very good for retail investors. Yeah. Right. yeah. So Th- thanks for that. So, 
Is that now? Let's talk about Trident Analytics, right? Mm. Is that one of the missions for Trident Analytics? Uh, What's it all about? <laughs> yeah. What are your plans? For Vision, it? mission, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Corporate actually, values. Corporate <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I accept Trident Analytics without without having much idea what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, honestly, honestly, okay. 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 I, I set up right. So it's, it's, a, it's an experiment or something. Was it an ex- experiment? Uh, you can see it's it's an experiment, just exploration of what to do. So everything was happened in January, right? So mm. I still remember it was. In the middle of January, you know, one of my colleague was saying, "Hey, you know, actually, I think it was quite funny, right?" So he said, which, which, which artist was it? It's Eminem. Eminem, Eminem, uh, yeah, Eminem the rapper, yeah, yeah. yeah. The rapper. I think he launched a video in January. I think within one two hours, it garners two million views. Okay. So my colleague was telling me, "Hey, you know, because that time was MCO, yeah. so because we, we, no choice, right? Yeah. You have to view on the screen. Say, so yeah. why not we do something online? Uh-huh. Because it's a good opportunity. Yeah. So in just two weeks, I said, okay, why not we do a market outlook in two weeks huh? <laughs> 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 without proper planning? Uh, uh. So even." When I was doing the market outlook, when people ask me, so what's the plan of trying anything? I said, I don't know. I have, I, have no business, <laughs> I have no business model for it. I don't Understand. know what to do with it, right? Yeah. But it was after, it was the night before the market outlook, then something something actually struck me. I said, hey, look, what, what is actually missing from the market, right? It's actually market outlook sessions. Mm. Yeah. We don't talk about stocks. I, I don't talk about stocks. But what I talk about is what is happening in the market mm-hmm. that affects globally what's mm. affecting what's happening globally that can affect the market mm. um, what are the implications and how investors should be aware so it's really a knowledge based sharing great um, I have it every last Sunday of the month mm-hmm. so that so that I can really know what happened in that month and yeah. comment about it right? um, see I something I've forgotten quite a while right because I, I've so forgotten that I do market outlook very often previously in 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 but under the purview of uh, the, f- the fund that you manage or something no, right I do I was uh, until 2000, before I became CEO of Interbank, uh-huh. because during RHB we were still bank back, so we got a lot of connection with all the banks, right? So I, I was see. constantly, quite quite constantly being, being um, what, what's the word? Being asked ask, yeah, by other banks to actually give market outlook, but it's really to their, what do they call it? Some privileged clients. Or oh, the, the uh, private banking clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, those, yeah. Those high net worth, high net worth. High net worth, right? So we got my thinking, but it's something that uh, the public don't have access to. Mm. So that prompted me to actually create this. But then, Again, I, I recognize the fact this is a very niche market. Yeah. Because um, uh, I don't talk about stocks. Yeah. <laughs> but mo- especially most most people who, because it's, it's quite funny that you say it's market outlook because yeah. most of the time people, are uh, the brokerage, right? When yeah. they say market outlook, uh, it's actually talking about stocks. Right? Yeah, 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 the, the, free, yeah, yeah. the free market outlook, you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I don't want the responsibility to actually talk about no, stocks. Yeah, no, 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 fully <laughs> aligned to that. Yeah. 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 So uh okay so now uh your charity mm. yeah All right how's it how's it doing? yeah this describe to us it's you know why yeah. why 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 were you so enamored to it and and what what do you feel that the impact that you're making with this charity actually generally there's two branch of the charity that I'm doing I'm with uh this this orga- registered organization called Kriya Lakshmi Mandir okay um basically one of the branches actually we're doing spiritual classes okay for, okay. For okay the communities okay. Right? Uh, as I mean, like, so we're actually based in Aipanas, so okay. we actually conduct classes, spiritual classes and even tuition classes I see. for the underserved community. Uh. The other branch is we actually we do outreach projects. Right? I mean, we, we have uh, various type of categories, like we, we, we have uh, churches, we have uh, even some of the... Is, is it faith-based or non-faith-based? No, non-faith-based. I non-faith-based. see. We, we have outreach projects. Like, take for instance, last year, right, during the MCO, right, we got a lot of people requesting... See, last MCO was... The, the MCO last year was actually creating the divergence further between the have and the have nots. Mm. You notice whoever have rich invest in the stock market oh, yeah. actually became much richer. Yes. Yeah, yes, yes. yes. The daily rich earners, like your taxi driver, oh, man. they were really, really badly hit. Yeah. 
So we, we got approached by quite a lot last year. So last year we actually my my master, we actually we're founder of, of this school. Yeah. We actually created a project, right? We call it from a mother project okay. where we actually uh, buy provisions worth two hundred fifty ringgit per family. Mm. And we actually you call us, then we actually interview them, we get their details, we get them to collect. And last year we actually distributed close to thousand two hundred families. Two huh? families. Nice. Yeah. So this well outreach projects and, and there are sometimes even old folks home they come to your MCO, we don't have food. So we go there and do a survey investigation to make sure that this legit. Do your due diligence first, uh, la, then rather. We, then we actually will raise funds to, and then we actually buy provisions for them. I see. Right. That's why there's two branches of it. One is the social outreach project. Mm. The other one is actually the, the teacher school outreach. I so, see. Uh, so I think I think I can understand the the outreach one a little bit clearer. I mean, it's 250. And by the way, like two hundred. What does maybe share with us? What does 250 means actually? Yeah. To what what these can you buy? To okay. these families, yeah, you, you can buy actually a ten kilo a pack of ten kilo rice. You can get flours. You can get uh, the canned food, canned okay. beans, right? You can get two packs of bihuns. You can get a uh, five kg of cooking oils. You can get five packs of uh, instant noodles. So the whole thing design is to last them for a month. Ah, ah. okay. Yeah. So cook at home for, for a month, right? Yeah. So yeah. something flour, all these things for them to last it for a month. I see. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So then, how about the spirituality? Why is that important? See, spirituality is always. There's two aspects of it, right? It's always that we are spiritual, but we are not religious. Mm. Mm. You see, spirituality is about knowing the greater good of yourself, mm. about realizing what is your true inner self of it. Mm. Right. right. Religion is trying to define which higher power is that. Mm. Right. Right. So mm. we are mm. more spiritual. No, we are not. Spiritual. We are more focusing on spiritual rather than sense, yeah, sort of self-realization mm. about the the good in humanity, right? Mm. Rather mm. than trying to define. Who is that higher power that sure. is spreading that message? I understand. Mm. So we are more on the spiritual branch, and we are not so much on the, on the religion branch. I understand. Right. So these are people, or you you give classes to young children, yes. or is that right? We we have a children. Um, it all ranges from seven years old mm -hmm. all the way to college students. Quite quite equally spread. I think I we see. have close to fifty, uh, close to sixty of of the students. Right. There. And we're actually very strict. Everything is free. We don't charge anything, but we, we have full attendance system. <laughs> wow. So it's run like a school, but it's yes. uh, it's run like a, uh, it's non-profit. And then what are the criterias? I mean, do you do due diligence on their family backgrounds before you allow them to come? No, no, we are quite, we are quite open, but we have our process. Definitely they have to apply in. Okay. Once we accept them in, there's a three months probation. Okay. Then after three months probation, then we ask them to attend class okay. for another three months probation. Only then after six months, then they'll be actually be enrolled into our student. I see. But there's no other requirement. There's no... I see. I see. But we also keep people very fast, right? If they fail to come to class for two times without any valid reasons, out they go. I see. And it's it's academic subjects like, like math. Uh, okay. Two, two parts of it. One okay. is a spiritual. The spiritual is we, we talk about generally any, anything that has good human values. Okay. Regardless of which religion. Right. So regardless of faith. Uh, okay. Regardless of faith in that sense, right? The other aspect is on we focus on four core subjects. Uh, is a BMBI maths and science. I see. Mm. In addition, we also introduce traditional dance. Wow. And also traditional music instruments like your tabla and your harmonia. Oh, you play? Uh? I don't. Must lead by example. I, I'm the maintenance guy. Yeah. Yeah, if the, I, the, the string pata, then you go. Oh, no, no, not that. I'm, not, I'm, I'm more of fixing the wiring, fixing the plumbing. Ah, uh, <laughs> okay. But, but joke aside, I, I, I'm actually playing the role of a secretary there. So I, I, see. I, I take care of the school. I see. Right. So, in terms, I have two questions, right? Why is why do you make the distinction between the spirituality and then the face based thing? What, what, what are the advantages, assuming that there is? The second one is, what are some of the impacts that you've seen in the lives of these uh, mm -hmm. children over the, how many years has it been now running the school? 10 years. 10 years, yeah. What, what 
you know, is, is there transformation? What what has changed in their lives? Is it what what I make that that definition of spirituality is my master, right. which she will always say that right. There's only one religion in the world, right. which is love. Mm. Right. So that's why we are not trying to go into what religion we are in. Yeah. Mm. As long as your main purpose is actually love and also a service to humanity and also self-realization at the end mm. of the day. Mm. Mm. Which comes to a second point. Actually, the most changes is actually not on the children itself. Mm. The biggest change is actually on myself. Ah. When I start to see your own transformation I and see. your own progress in terms of thinking, that is where actually that's where the the jewel is. I so see. a lot of people go into service thinking that uh, I'm going to service why I'm going to make their life better, I'm going to change their life, right. <laughs> I'm going to improve the society. But what they really fail to understand, these are all tools or mm. events that in the end actually benefits or it changes themselves to be a better human. So it's actually selfish. Uh? It it selfish is a ver- for a good reason. It's uh? not to say selfish. If we rephrase it, it's like a, it's an individual journey. Yeah, I understand. Right. I mean selfish in a good man, in a good way, in a way that you 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 go out to help, but in a way you 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 learn more for yourself actually. I think my master always said this. And so he said when a lot of people go for do service, they call it do service. Right? Do service, yeah. They do service. They assume they are doing external service. They <laughs> go out, I sweep the floor, I mop. Okay, I pack, I go back, right? Uh. But my master always said that what people always fail to realize in the act of doing that service, what you should be gaining is your own self-realization, mm. your own self-awareness, mm. right? But people always focus on the external act of the service, mm. which actually we call it yoga. Mm. <laughs> yoga is actually action. No, mm. no, no, not that stretching hand. But actually <laughs> oh, the, the, no, whole, uh. the whole term of yoga is actually action. Ah. Right? So how my master always teach is Kriya Yoga. Okay. It's, it's an inner action. Mm. So how do you internalize your external action to internalize within yourself and to gain realization within that? Understand. Right. And so that process of service, so to speak, is this Correct. Kriya Yoga that you're I talking see. about. Mm-hmm. So you know, you say that you've gained a lot more from these acts of service as a result, right? And what are some of the jewels that you've learned, uh, you know, throughout these ten years? See, I, I, I let's say about on a very on a very fundamental level, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely, if you look at it, ten years ago, one I'm quite a okay impatient, mm. right? I'm quite rude. Mm. I, I'm not where I am today, right? It's, it's due to those refinement. Mm. Right. I'm not perfect yet. I'm still far from perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. But you can see that changes. So I say that the biggest miracle I've seen is my own changes. Mm. Because if I know my, if you know me previously, it's not easy to change me. Right. Many people try and fail. Mm. <laughs> okay. So the, the miracle I see is actually my own changes. I see. Which to me, it's really not easy to change me to, to be where I am today. I see. So, so less rude, Less impatient right now. Uh, still brutally honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fine with us. Well, who who say that's who say that's a bad thing? Yeah, you know? it's a good thing actually. <laughs> so um, you know, uh, it's uh, how long has this podcast been? It's almost two hours. This will be this that will long. be the longest podcast. Yeah. I just have one s- small question left, which yeah. is that I think what's interesting about you is that um, you're so into spirituality. Which is the last thing you would think that a fund manager, a money manager, would yeah, be involved. exactly, yeah. right? And uh, you know how, like they are almost polar opposites. Right? <laughs> so like a, like a wealthy Buddha, you know. Because like, you know, in Wall Street or, or investment yeah. banking, it's all about you know. It's all about numbers. About it's access. About no, it's about access as well, you know. Right? Yeah, yeah, a, a, yeah. Ac- being excessive, and you know, I mentioned earlier on the yeah. podcast that uh, you know you drive your scooter. To, to work, you okay. donate a huge chunk of your salary to, um, to the Remember cost. The, the book? So if those of you who don't know, he the book, all the proceeds of his book actually goes, goes to, to this charity. Yeah, right? exactly. So w- w- why do you decide to 
you know, as in why do you decide to start this thing, right? So we've, I, I've learned about why, how you've transformed yourself in these 10 years. But at a point in time, 10 years ago, um, why start it when you could be just uh, enjoying all the your rewards as an analyst and a farm manager? Yeah. Okay, you, you really think about it, right? Whether you're an analyst or a farm manager, is a, you're a salaried employee. Mm. So it, I think I already hinted mm. in my book, right? Mm. Um, if you do things the right way, mm. right, if, you're, if you're a proper analyst, a proper fund manager, you, you can lead a comfortable life, mm. but you won't be very rich. So just the perception of being an analyst manager make you very, very rich. Uh, it's, not, it's not entirely true. La. It's not true if you do things the right way. Ah, <laughs> ah, <laughs> there's the insight. You can be comfortable, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, okay. Say, for instance, if you're a 15-year fund manager, right, I think your average salary per month is around 15,000, 20,000. Okay. It's, it's comfortable. Yeah. But you, you can't buy a Porsche. Yeah. You can't buy a Maserati. Yeah. But yet you're seeing some people have Porsche and Maserati. So do, please don't ask me how they get the money. <laughs> I won't comment on that. Right? But see, sometimes in life, we all face challenges. Yes. So of course, that time I was quite facing my life challenges. right? So sometimes you see, people say, life challenges are given to you so that you go back and seek God. Mm. Which is actually true. Mm. When everybody's doing well, right? nobody will actually... Yeah. They'll think they're king of the world. Correct. They will think they themselves are right. king. Yeah. It's during the time where you face the challenges in your life. Correct. They start to find answers or find solutions to it. Yeah. Um, that's where you get more connected to it. So mm. I, I, get, I guess that's what, where I was 10 years ago. Right? I see. So I get connected because I was facing my own challenges in life. At that I see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, if it's too private, don't do it. But, uh, <laughs> but what, what, uh, what was that challenge oh. that you overcome through this process? Oh. That time was like everything that went wrong went wrong. Everything can go wrong went wrong, right? In yeah, in yeah, career, yeah, in yeah, life, career, in life, uh, everything. I see. Right. I see. Yeah. Okay, okay, man. Uh, Peter, thank you so much. Uh, this will be. Uh, uh, you are shy of. Uh, shy oh of no, no. Hours? Don't, oh, don't worry. This, okay. this two minutes. No, no, yeah. no question. It's more of a his shout out and his. Uh, yeah. How how? Yeah, how people can find you? you yeah, know? how can people find you? Uh, I have my Facebook. Uh, okay. Peter Lim, that, that's my Facebook. Um, I also have my own website, okay. um, trident-analytics.com. So you heard it, trident-analytics. Trident meaning the, you know, the trident. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I do know it is a uh, paid product. So you want to share with people how they yeah. can, if they want to mm. be part of Trident Analytics, what they will have to go through? Okay, basically we only have one service, which yeah. is of course my, the monthly market outlook. Okay. Um, if there's a, pay-per-view, which is on a monthly basis, and mm. there's, of course, a 12-session subscription. Okay. So on a pay-per-view basis, it's 216 per session. Okay. On the pay-per-view, it's um, 2088 for her. So which I think we're going to 170 plus. I did come with the pricing. Okay. My, my colleague come with the okay. pricing. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, so it's cheaper for the annual subscription, uh, put it this way. It is cheaper. Yeah. Should I say this is very niche. Uh? I mean, I always joke, right? I, mean, I, can't, I can never imagine people actually paying money to listen to me talk. <laughs> <laughs> but people do want to hear you talk. <laughs> yeah. The, the other thing is about your book. So where do they? Where can I get access you to your book? You can get it in most major bookstores. I mm -hmm. mean, there's Kilkunia, MPH, Popular. Mm -hmm. um, you can also get it from Trident website. Okay. So it will be delivered to their homes. Uh, if yeah, they okay. And the full name is What I Learned as an Analyst. Yep. Correct? Yes. And there's a second edition now. The second edition. And the second edition is available also in Bahasa and Mandarin. Ah, ah okay, okay. okay. E any ebooks or is purely there's, a hard there's, copy? There's, there's ebooks available in all platforms, even iBook, except okay. for Google. Because oh. apparently my distributor for ebook is not on good terms with Google. I, I see. see. So the price, the, the price, I remember the prices are a bit different for each languages. Is that right? Yes, for the English, it's $50. Ringgit, to be more exact. I, I'm thinking for 
Mandarin is forty four fifty. Bahasa is thirty nine ninety. Again, I didn't set the price. It's just set by why, why? Why is there discrimination for? No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, okay. I didn't set the price. <laughs> all right. Okay. So okay. Uh, yeah, and guys, remember that uh, all proceeds go to yeah. the uh, the foundation or the the charity organization, right? But uh, before that, because I, I want to hit two hours, right? So I need to ask. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, 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 like, why? Why should I know why I got your book, right? But why mm. do you think people should yeah. get your book? Yeah, and why is question. your book different? I think, I, I, I okay. The, the whole intention of a book is 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 I I totally avoid talking about myself. Mm. So there's there's really no telling you oh I did this right I did that right. I think that really doesn't serve the purpose. I understand. So the whole book is really more of um, guiding investors right. How do you actually look at companies? How mm. do you look at the income statement? How do you actually talk about valuation? What's mm. the common valuation methodologies? Mm. Uh, what are the common pitfalls? Right. So it's totally. Me out of the picture. So mm. the whole book is totally nothing about me. About because you do see quite unfortunately a lot of investment book about self glorification, right? Mm. I do this right, I do that right. Yeah. Mm. But but no, every investment is different. Yeah. 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 What you get right for this investment, you can't repeat it for the other investment. Right? Yeah. So exactly. there's no point talking about what I did right, mm. which I think it, it actually adds more value for for readers to actually look at things on a very more basic level. Yeah. On what they need to know to be able to invest in the market. Yeah. Well, uh, Peter, it's been a pleasure. Hope to have you back for a second podcast if you want. Yes. Sure, yeah. And uh, yeah, um, guys. If nobody told me on my website. Oh, no worry. So whatever, whatever we said, uh, his website and everything, we'll leave the links in the comment yeah, section yeah. below so you guys can link it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, guys, hope you guys thoroughly enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to more podcasts like this in the future. Look forward to Peter coming on in the future as well. Uh, you guys have a good one and uh, see you in the next podcast. All right, see you guys. Thank uh, you bye. guys. Thanks for having me here. Thank you. Okay. <laughs>